The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Am I on here? Hello, hello, there we go. It is 7 o'clock after all, so we are going to go ahead and start our City Commission business meeting for Monday, May 16th. I want to welcome everyone who's joined us here in the chambers tonight. The first thing on our agenda is roll call. Clerk Borling. Commissioner Decker. Present. Commissioner Hess. Present. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. Present. Commissioner Pradle. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Present. Mayor Anderson. Here. Thank you, Clerk Borling. For our opening ceremony tonight, uh, we are honored to have Dave Berenger from Kalamazoo First to give the invocation. Please rise for the invocation and remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. We can come together as stewards of our city and I thank you, Lord, for these civil servants that you have blessed us with. I thank you for their hard work, for their sacrifice. May you continually bless them and their families. May you generously give them wise and discerning hearts, skillful to govern the people of our city. Grant the mayor, our city leaders, the staff, this council, grant them wisdom that they may solve problems, distinguish between right and wrong, bring order, stability, and prosperity to our community. Give them grace to bring truth, justice, and stability to this city of Kalamazoo. Give them the power to do what's right and to guide in fairness and let our community prosper from the influence of these men and women. For their lives and their families, I ask you to bless them, to keep them, to make your face shine upon them and be gracious unto them. Turn your countenance toward them and grant them peace. Lord, I pray for us, the citizens of Kalamazoo, that you would fill us with the same wisdom and revelation by the power of your spirit. Enable us to know you better, to know your will and your plan for our lives. Lord, give us a heart of wisdom that it may produce in us creative ideas, solutions, 
love that covers the spirit of offense, a heart for the deepest needs of our community. And may you give us, the citizens of Kalamazoo, sound counsel and good judgment to make life decisions that facilitates health for our city. May you give us knowledge and understanding and power so that we may live skillfully and give back what is good and excellent to this community. May give us your humility, Lord, and let all barriers, walls, strongholds, and divisions that keep us separated from you and one another come down in your name. Lord, we give you this place, our home, our labor, and our city. Look with favor upon us and protect our citizens and leaders and enrich our land that we may be a blessing to those around us. We pray that you would be honored and lifted up in our community, for this city is yours, this county is yours, and we proclaim that we will experience your goodness and grace here in Kalamazoo. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much, Mr. Berenger. I appreciate your words for our meeting this evening. We have a proclamation tonight recognizing essential transit employees. And I believe that we have here uh, to accept the proclamation is Earl Cox, is that right? Coach operator and president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 1093, and Sean McBride, the Executive Director of the Kalamazoo County Transportation Authority and Central County Transportation Authority. If you will both come forward, please. Commissioner Pradel is going to be reading the proclamation. Thank you for being here. Uh, we uh, wanted to take a, a pause to uh, recognize individual groups of people who really served at the front line uh, during the course of the pandemic uh, to make really society function and, and, and uh, continue working uh, for our community. So whereas for 55 years, Kalamazoo uh, public transportation employees have been on the front lines ensuring safe and dependable service for the traveling public. And whereas the Metro has provided 118 million rides transporting passengers to jobs, school, medical appointments, and shopping. And whereas during the COVID-19 pandemic, Metro and Metro Connect employees quickly adjusted their operations in order to meet current and future needs of the transportation system in Kalamazoo County. And whereas Metro Coach Operators, Operations Department, Maintenance Department, Kalamazoo Transportation Center staff, and administration staff are essential employees to Metro. And whereas since the start of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic in March 2020, Metro employees have remained on the front lines of public transportation and supported each other. And whereas Metro employees act as public servants and at times have gone above and beyond their transit worker role to give acts of kindness and to make their community a better place. And whereas Kalamazoo County will remain connected with safe travel options with the continued dedication of Metro's transit workers. Now, therefore, I, Commissioner Pradel, on behalf of the 54th City Commission and David F. Anderson, Mayor of the City of Kalamazoo, do hereby recognize Metro Transit employees for their dedication and hard work during the COVID-19 pandemic and urge all citizens to join us in showing gratitude.
Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a great honor uh, to receive this and have this proclamation made. Um, it is truly a great honor to uh, live in and be a part of the Kalamazoo um, County to work and serve for the city of Kalamazoo and the county of Kalamazoo is a great honor. We take a great pleasure in it. Uh, we live, go to church, our kids go to school here. So we're part of this community and we wanna make it the best community that it can be. Trailblazers and leaders, uh, full of passion, full of love, and uh, working hard to do our part in service in the community. Thank you. On behalf of Matra, I thank Mary Anderson, the City Commission, um, the residents of Kalamazoo for their support of Metro. It's been a very challenging uh, couple of years, especially between the pandemic and uh, this last fall, we were particularly challenged as an organization with a shooting at the, the Kalamazoo Transportation Center. Without the support of the community, won't we, we won't be able to thrive as an organization. Um, and I really wanna thank our employees. It's their dedication, their commitment to providing direct service to the community, get people to jobs, to education, to uh, services throughout the community. That uh, That's why they show up every day and uh, sacrifice uh, for the community. So thank you all. And just a couple, uh, couple things as an organization, which I'd like to update you uh, in more depth in the future, but we are looking at a, um, our routes and our whole operation. We do this uh, once every 10, 15 years where we do a holistic look at our overall service. So we're uh, in the midst of that and we'll have some things to report and get public comment in the near future. And then uh, in an effort to, uh, that kind of mirrors your efforts at the city of uh, Kalamazoo, we're looking at how we can uh, uh, cut our, uh, our uh, emissions footprint and we're looking at investing more in electric vehicles, solar energy, and so forth as we move, a f move forward here. And so uh, those are a couple exciting things that we'll hopefully have more, more discussion on in the near future. And again, thank you all for your support of our wonderful employees. Thank you, thank you very much. I, I just uh, read two names. I wonder if you'd be willing to introduce everyone who has come forward with you this evening. Right up to the microphone, it'd be great. We have Devin Warren, she's a bus driver. And we have Autumn Bush, she's a bus driver as well. Okay. Thank you very much. Appreciate you taking time to come down here. Uh, just before we jump into the agenda, I, I just want to do something here. Uh, which is along the lines of our invocation tonight, just before we get started uh, with, with the business. And, and that is this. Uh, on Saturday, May 14th, the person involved in producing uh, a series of white supremacist manifestos killed 10 people and injured three in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. I want to recognize that tragedy publicly here as a community there is no way uh, that you can live in this country and not feel the, the desperate sadness that, that washes across all of us from an event like this. 
I would suggest that that desperate sadness uh, hits us unevenly. 11 of the 13 victims, 10 killed and three shot, were black. That uh, seems to be the intent of the individuals involved in this. So I just want to say that from our community, our, our condolences, our heartfelt prayers, and our support goes out to the members of the Buffalo community and to their mayor, Byron Brown, who will have to try to keep leading his community in a positive way forward. These are not easy times. That said, we are back to our regular business agenda this evening. And the next up is the adoption of our formal agenda. Commissioners, you have before you the agenda for tonight's meeting. Are there any changes you would like to see? Commissioner Decker, did you have something? Uh, yes, thank you. Can we move from the consent agenda um, number two and number five? And also, oh, hold on just a minute. That's all. So request. Okay, so the request is to move uh, item G2 and G5 from the consent agenda to the regular agenda. Any other requests, commissioners? Seeing none, is there anyone in the audience who would like to move an item from the consent agenda to the regular agenda? Seeing none, our agenda is set. Next is public hearings. And I would now like to open a public hearing to receive comments. Oops, got a page ahead of myself here. Let me peel back. All right. Next, communications. Nothing. Nothing this evening, Your Honor. I went back for nothing. Okay. However, the next thing is important, and this is the opportunity for public comments. Is this an opportunity for anyone who's here in the chambers to come forward? You'll have three minutes. Uh, please state your name and whether you live in the city. And after those who are in the chambers have had an opportunity to speak, we will go for people uh, who, who have called in. So I want to remind people that if you want to leave a comment via phone, that now is the time to call in. You should call 888-382-9000. Five five six, starting now and through the end of this public comment period. Please note, if you are a caller and want to comment on the public hearing items, those are items F1 and F2, you will need to call now, as we will not be taking call-in comments separately during the public hearing. Yes, please, go ahead. 
Commissioners, Mayor Anderson. My name is Steve Glista. I'm a resident of the city of Kalamazoo in the West Nedge Hill neighborhood. Um, I came to speak to the commission in February, I think it was, uh, about the project to replace the Inkster Bridge in my neighborhood. And I want to thank the commissioners and the Department of Public Works for the communication and outreach that uh, we've received from you and from Public Works about that ongoing project. Uh, the American or the Imagine Kalamazoo team shared some survey results um, about neighborhood input on the design, and it uh, looks like things are moving forward. We look forward to more communication about design choices for the bridge deck, especially as that project goes forward, um, and ways that that bridge deck can be designed so that it will support pedestrian and non-motorized traffic um, in ways that align with the Imagine Kalamazoo 2025 priorities. Uh, I'll remind the commission that um, as part of the safe communities priorities, uh, we are looking to invest in safety for most, the most vulnerable road users in our community. That includes pedestrians and cyclists and transit users and users of alternate mobility. So guys on the little motorized scooters that are getting around, those are all important users and we should design our infrastructure to protect them when we are planning projects like this. Um, this kind of dovetails with a conversation that's going to come up later tonight about design strategies for Kalamazoo Avenue. I think that we just pulled that off the consent agenda. So um, I would speak in support of including a protected bicycle lane, protected bicycle facilities in those designs. I know that we're not really looking at drawings yet. This is just to approve a design contract, but uh, I would speak in favor of that. Um, and that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next, please. Hi, my name is Tina McClinton. I live on Lake Street. I am down here again asking about the sewers and the storm drains. Last time I was here, I was told that you would put a backflow in. I talked to two different plumbers, and they told me that would be a bad thing to do. Because if you put a backflow in, and I ever have to have my drain clean from rotor rooter or anything, they can't clean it because the backflow is going to stop it from going out. And then if you put a backflow in to solve the flooding issues and the sewer issues we have in our neighborhood, all that's going to do is make the sewage come up in my toilet and make it come up in my bathtub instead of in my basement drain. I wish you'd just fix the sewers and the storm drains in Southtown neighborhood. You won't accept our neighborhood plan. You won't accept our neighborhood as a neighborhood, even though we have a sign that sits right on the corner of Burdick and Crosstown that says, welcome to Southtown neighborhood. It should say welcome to Southtown neighborhood, the neighborhood that's never talked to, neighborhood that's never listened to. Only time we're talked to is if you want to build something there. And we have a little four, almost four and a half acres of green space next to my house that saves us from flooding that the city has been trying to take away for years to build on. That's contaminated soil, has, natural, has a natural watershed in it that's huge, has 60% wetlands, it's the same story I say all the time, 40% is in a floodplain. We flood three to four times every single year. When your ponds overflow, they fill up all the storm drains in the whole neighborhood. The water comes up through the storm drains, floods out the sewers, and comes up in our homes. We are trapped. The hospital is trapped. I live right down the street from the police station. They're even trapped. When are you going to fix the flooding? If you can change a road downtown from a one-way to a two-way, 
you should be able to use some money to fix the sewers and the flooding in our neighborhood. We're poor people. I work two jobs. I work a second job just to be able to afford to put in a new furnace and water heater every four years and to pay for the cleanup. I mean, I shouldn't have to work two jobs. Most people's furnace lasts them 15 to 20 years. I've put in, since 2008, four furnaces. 2008, 2014, 2017, and 2018. I've had to put in a new furnace and a new water heater. All I'm asking is to check the sewers and the storm drains in my neighborhood and try to fix them. They're failing. They're failing the poor, we're a poor neighborhood. So, I mean, I know it doesn't matter to you guys because we're a poor neighborhood, but it does to us. We struggle to make ends meet and shouldn't have to put in new furniture. Thank you very much. Next, please. Hello, I'm Mayor Anderson, commissioners. Um, my name is Gwendolyn Hooker. I am a Northside resident. I am the CEO and founder of Hope Through Navigation. And I am here to talk to you briefly uh, about a very disturbing incident that happened um, early this morning with the Kamloops Public Safety. Um, I'm going to just start out with this, which if folks know what this is, this is our Narcon kit saves people's lives if they happen to overdose. Um, my organization serves people with criminal background, substance use disorder history, just laying the foundation. Long story short, um, my car was stopped in a traffic incident for a light bulb that was out. That circumstance escalated to the person driving the car being pulled out of the car and my vehicle being scratched and checked and ransacked um, because the, the reason that they ransacked my car was because of this. They said that this gave them probable cause to search my car. So my question is, is this an illegal item to have in a citizen's possession? And what is the training that your officers are receiving as it relates to the opioid epidemic and how to de-escalate a situation when you're interfacing for a minor traffic stop. Because we know that we have witnessed all across the country black men being murdered in minor traffic stops. The person that was driving the car was assaulted. They were, I mean, it was a, it was a spectacle, all from a back bright light. In the midst of all of that, I have a vehicle, oh, the end part, and I wanna make sure that I get this in, is that at the end of the day, after all of this happened, my car scratched up, the person has been assaulted, um, the traffic ticket machine was broken, so they couldn't even write a ticket, and then the person was just released uh, with a warning. So this is a problem. And, and folks that know um, how I advocate for the people that I serve and the job that I do in this community, of course I'm gonna advocate for myself. You know, I have a vehicle that is going to be very difficult to fix because I have no police report and I have damages from a dog that scratched and dented my car. Not to mention you have a person that was assaulted by the Kamloops Public Safety. So, just want to leave that there for you guys to muddle on so that you all can know that you're aware 
because I know that there's a habit of police reports and complaints kind of disappearing, and we want to make sure that everybody's aware of what happened so that when the complaint comes Thank you. Good evening. Kiara Gamshow, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I would love to stay to the extent of the meeting. I just had to go back to our business and uh, make sure we do our closing procedures. But I'm, in, I'm here in support of the city of Kalamazoo, especially the north side and the Northside Cultural Business District. So I would love to just make my comment before I have to head back and close up shop. In this country, um, the entrepreneur is dissipating. And I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And our city needs more entrepreneurs. And what better way to have entrepreneurs represented in a neighborhood that is a hidden gem in our community and in our state. There's a lot of talent on the north side, and there's a lot of things the north side has to offer as far as food, um, skill, uh, ideas, all that good stuff. So I'm a firm believer in making things happen, and I'm a firm believer if you're hungry, you'll find food. I'm a kid from Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, and I was raised in Detroit, and I've seen both sides of the tracks. And corporate America abandoned the city of Detroit after the riots. And you see what happened there. And the people see Detroit's on the come up, and you know we're rooting for them. And I'm, I'm still a big fan of Detroit. But one of the biggest things that I want to talk about, besides building great businesses in the Northside Cultural Business District, is um, what happened to me personally during COVID and the insecurity of our food system in the state of Michigan and across the country. In our country today, everything is big business. And without the entrepreneurs, when we had a major issue in our country, everyone depended on big business to supply them with basic nutrition. And a lot of these places did not have product to supply the community. As an entrepreneur, my family, my great staff, uh, we never ran out of a majority of our products because, you know, we're entrepreneurs, we connected the dots, and we, we, we try to make it happen for the community. Produce, meats, all that good stuff. And one of the, the reason why I'm saying this is being an entrepreneur allowed us to offer the community basic resources and having dollar stores and other types of businesses take over our communities, you know, I cut meat, I have an accounting degree, I'm a kid from Bloomfield, but where are my kids gonna buy meat and produce from in the future? So I'm working with the Michigan Good Food Fund, I'm working with Maddie, with the SBA, and we just need to... Thanks for coming down. My name is Irvin Beverly. I reside at 922 North Prairie Avenue. And I came tonight because I saw, I got a letter saying um, about the North Side Cultural Business District desires and wants. 
and I read it over and looked at it, and um, just being a resident, that's great. But can we on the north side get the basic things that we've been lacking for <coughs> decades? Uh, burnout houses, they stand for two, three years. The parks aren't mowed regularly. Except for the dog park. The sidewalks that are adjacent to the parks. Except the dog park. Amtrak did a new rail system on Westnich that if you drive the speed limit over it, you would tear your car up. North Street in Pitcher is a disaster. It's been a disaster, okay? Main thoroughfare, east to west. And last but not least, there are three elementary schools on the north side. There isn't a blinking light on the north side of Kalamazoo. Our kids go to school before the time change at Woodward in the dark. They're this tall. There isn't a blinking light. I'm all for what you want, but can we get what we need and should have had and should not have had to ask for? Every time I see something that describes how much money the city has and is trying to find some place to spend it. Think about us. Crane Park is beautiful. Can I get a pothole fixed? The street that I live on, when the building was torn down at the top of Blakesley for Prairie Gardens, grass grows so tall in it needs to be mowed. Thank you. Yes. Good evening. My name is Maddie Jordan Woods. I live at 902 West Patterson. I know we're going to be speaking about the Northside Cultural Business District, but I'm not here for this. I did not think I would have to be here to talk about something else. And what I'm here tonight, um, speaking as Maddie, as a property owner, raised on, on the north side, came back to the north side, I was appalled. I was out of town, and I, someone sent me an article where um, Mary Bokema says she would not put any money in new housing by graphic packaging. Mary and I are friends. But you know what? When it comes to the north side neighborhood, friendship just goes down the road. Because let me be clear, that adds insult to injury to the people that live by graphic packaging company. Now Mary said, well, no one would want to live there. Well, you know what? Spend some money to make it safe. 95% of the people who live by graphic packaging are black 
or poor in this community. And instead of saying that you will not put any money into it, should start asking, can we come together and find out if it's unsafe? Because the, the Northside Neighborhood Association voted to wait until all the surveys are in, when find out what is really happening, who did what. But to have before everything come out, someone to say that we're not going to build any housing, any new housing, you know what? That does a ripple effect at what we've seen happen in this country. We're talking about redlining, only using a different word and using environmental concerns as the reason to do that. Because first comes the county, next maybe the city, next then all of a sudden the banks tell the people who have spent 30 to 40 years paying for their homes over there, we're not going to give you any money because it's unsafe. But 15 years down the road, all of a sudden developers are coming in and then you can build new housing after the people who were there are gone. So I'm going to ask this commission that you not let anyone come to you to say that with your CDBG funds, your general funds, your foundation of excellent funds, that they will not put money if any of those residents want to have, that they need help over there for their housing. If there's someone who wants to build over there, let's concentrate on looking at whatever those studies come out to be and trying to fix it so the people who have for over 60 years have spent their time, their money, their life and raised their kids Thank you very much. Thank you, Maddie. Next, please. My name is Jerry Williams. I've resided in Kalamazoo over 25 years. I come to support Ms. Maddie Jordan Woods' cultural business district she's trying to get accomplished. This woman has worked for us, I can't even count the number of years, but she has showed us that she's determined to help our community. She has always been straightforward. She's never been hypocritical. She's never been disrespectful. And I think we need people like this in our community. We have so many things that need to be accomplished. And this lady here has showed us she knows how to do it. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Yes. Sure. Um, you know, I I hadn't planned on saying anything. I uh, just planned on sitting and, and listening, and I kind of felt compelled after I'm hearing everybody. And first and foremost, I want to commend Maddie for everything that she does. Um, I was born and raised in Kalamazoo. I live in Cooper Township now. Um, but um, I've known Maddie for what, a couple of months maybe. Um, she does amazing work, amazing woman. So I'll start by saying that. So, you know, I'm, like I said, I, I wasn't planning on, on saying anything, but what I'm hearing from a lot of people and why I felt compelled to talk is, you know, just, just like with, a, with any household budget, right? You got money for X, Y, and Z. I'm hearing a whole lot of people say, we need this, we need that, we need the other thing. It's just like any household, right? Needs versus wants. Do you need this? Do you need that? Do you want this? Do you want that? How do you foster and create opportunity for the people of Kalamazoo? You do that by creating a sense of pride within their community. The north side, I work on the north side. It's the, the community that I, that I work in. 
I want to see it thrive. How do you do that? You create pride for the people that live there. You fix the roads. You fix a building. You create an environment that creates a spot where people can be proud to call home. And that creates success down the road. So when you're making these decisions about how you want to spend these funds, what you want to do with it, just consider, will this create opportunity for the people, for the residents? Will it create a sense of pride? What's the real return on this? Is this something that 10, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, it, we're going to see a return? Or is it just, uh, you know, it, 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 it's this impulse? You know, we're, 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 a, we're a community of, or we're a world of instant gratification, right? We want to spend the money now. We want to see, see how beautiful it looks right now. We don't care about what, what it looks like 5, 10, 15 years down the road. We want to make it look good now so that we can tell our constituents, look what I did. Right? What's important to you? What's really important to this commission and to you, Mayor, I would ask you? Is it to show the people two, three years down the road, look what I did. You know, look how beautiful this is. Or would it be to really create the opportunity for future generations to thrive? So please consider that when you're, when you're considering what to do and listening to, to the members of the community. These are the people that live here and support you. So that's all I have to say. Thanks. Thank you very much. Next, please. Leander Rabi with the Kalamazoo Coalition for the Homeless, and thanks for uh, listening to the concerns and, and thoughts. Uh, the prayer at the beginning was hearts, let's have hearts for those most deeply impacted in this community. And we we're hearing from those people. And so we just have some questions as a coalition. Hopefully you received our email that we sent just asking questions as we look ahead about some of those most impacted. And that is in regards to the housing crisis. There's been several bright spots as of late in the news of projects to address housing, especially affordable housing. And those are great. It's good news. And yet at that current pace, it will take years and years and years to close the gap with the more than 1,000 that are unhoused, let alone those who are on the verge of losing their homes. With the rising costs of rent and other expenses, this year forecast to be an ever-growing number of those becoming unhoused. And it's great to see even the lodge and its 60 to 120 units coming online, hopefully this next month. That's huge for our community. And yet that could be a total wash just because of the number of new people becoming unhoused yet this year at the growing economic disaster that we have for those who are on the, on the edge, so to speak. So our question is just in regards to the future as we think about it, will there be an extension of the emergency housing ordinance that was enacted by this commission? That was a great attempt at, at addressing things in a very, and thinking of it as truly a crisis, but it is set to expire this fall, and there were no extensions at that time that were included as a part of that ordinance. So what will be the intent going forward? And if not an extension, will there be um, a revision to include future extensions or a longer term form of an emergency housing ordinance? Would we maybe even consider addressing the zoning that this commission is responsible for, this city governance is responsible for creating and has created in the past? Would we address that to allow for other options on a long term basis because we need 
other forms of transitional shelter while we address the long-term housing that we need in this county and this community specifically. So we're asking these questions because there are many things that can be done in the short term to help hundreds of people even, and yet if we don't take action and in a tangible way in a short time frame, we will face yet another winter where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are being swept and pushed because homelessness has been criminalized in this community. And those people are going to be on the run day to day, not sure where they will be the next night. So we're asking those questions on their behalf. Just yesterday we saw in a first attempt at offering resources on a regular basis after our warming shelter project, we saw just 75 people come out of the woodwork, just word of mouth, and people in tears because they were getting their hair. Thank you very much, appreciate it. Is there one, yes? City resident, during the last commission meeting, I announced that a group of independent-minded volunteers were organizing a petition drive to implement ranked choice voting in the city of Kalamazoo. I am proud to announce that our petitions and ballot language have been approved and we began collecting the first of 3,000 signatures on Friday evening during Deb Dropper's food truck rally in the old Wayside West parking lot. Any voter registered in the city of Kalamazoo who wants to sign our petition can meet us on Saturday mornings at the Bank Street Farmer's Market from 8 a.m. to noon. We have several volunteers around the periphery of the market, many wearing Rank My Vote t-shirts. You can help us with the petition drive by retweeting and sharing our social media posts. You'll find us at Rank My Vote on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Rank M-I Vote, with M-I being the postal abbreviation for Michigan. Ranked choice voting is a change to the way we vote that will reduce extremism in politics by requiring the winner to achieve a minimum of 50% of the total vote. In our current voting system, known as plurality voting, a person wins by simply receiving more votes than anyone else. This sometimes leads to extremism because it is possible to win multi-candidate races by catering to a minority of the electorate, as Donald Trump did in the 2016 Republican presidential primaries. Ranked choice voting obligates candidates to broaden their appeal and take less extreme positions as they need a minimum of 50% of the vote in order to win. I would like to thank Commissioner Pradle for support of ranked choice voting during the last city commission meeting and Commissioner Juarez for signing my petition on Saturday during the Bank Street Farmers Market. Later that day, Christina and I talked to Commissioner Decker during the Vintage in the Zoo Market. She requested the full text of our proposed charter amendment for review. So I'll be handing Clerk Borling eight copies of that text, one for each commissioner and one for his office to keep and copy scan for any citizen who requests it. I'll also be handing Clerk Borling a copy of my remarks for inclusion in the minutes of this meeting. Now, please welcome Rank My Vote Kalamazoo Volunteer Coordinator, Christina Dorrit to the lectern. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Good evening. My name is Christina Doret. Um, although I can't sign this petition, I am the volunteer coordinator for Ranked Choice Voting because this is a city initiative. Um, what Ranked Choice does and is, is close to the motto, more voices, more choices. And we are really promoting this in the city because we believe that Kalamazoo needs to lead 
away. Uh, last year, this, this initiative was carried in Ann Arbor by 72% of the vote, and the national team has regarded Kalamazoo as one of the more progressive cities and the leadership in Kalamazoo as progressive, and therefore they are now investing time, money, and effort in bringing ranked choice voting to Kalamazoo. So I really hope that uh, we can uh, hope for your support. Now, what are the advantages of ranked choice voting? Better representation. Anybody who wins in ranked choice voting must achieve 50% of the vote. What this means is some of the concerns that we are hearing today from the residents here, if your voices are not being heard, then ranked choice voting may be an answer because better representation means that your voices will be heard, your money will go where you think your needs need to be met. This gives you more choices. There is no vote splitting, no spoiler effect, no runoff votes, runoff um, elections. It saves time, it saves money. You decide to vote for who you want, not the lesser of the two evils, not because you don't think your candidate has a chance. You get to vote, you need to rank them, and then the tabulated system will tell you who actually enjoys majority's support. It strengthens our democracy. It leads to campaigning for the issues we care about instead of mudslinging that we have seen our elections come down to. We want civic engagement. We want civic society. And this, I think, is the way forward because in ranked choice voting, because you have to rank your votes, you have to rank your candidates, the moment someone starts negative campaigning, nobody wants to choose them and nobody wants to rank them because all of us as citizens here want civic society. So having said that, I really would like for all of you to look for these t-shirts, which will be at farmer's markets every Saturday, as Jeff said. We will also be at uh, the Art Hop. We will be on Beats on Bates. We will be on every city event that I know of, and we're trying Art Hop State Theatre, Farmer's Market, Beats and Bates, Bronson Park Lunchtime Concerts, Second Saturday's Vintage in the Zoo, Second Friday's Food Trucks, the KIA Art Festival, uh, Art Fair, excuse me, the Duda Parade. So please, I, if you are a registered city um, voter, I recommend... Thank you. Is there anyone else who wants to speak? Yes. That's my chance to speak. So um, I would like to know what number eight is about. And I can't figure it out. And if I can't figure it out, then I would appreciate it being taken off the agenda so that I can know what it's about, just because it's so vague. We want someone to do a thing. Um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed into law March 12th, service dogs in training. Like this one here, I know Jim, Clyde, consider yourself cease and desist warned to change the city of Kalamazoo manager's policy saying service dogs and trainings are not allowed because that's now a criminal offense. Right now, effective today, well, the 12th. So it's illegal right now, it's a criminal offense. Okay, moving on. I got a parking ticket for parking in front of my house for the first time I don't park in front of my house, I park in my driveway. My neighbor parks in front of my house every single day. Every single day, they've never gotten a ticket 
for two years today. I parked in front of my house for three hours. I got a parking ticket. Gwendolyn got pulled over because she had a, a light out. I've been pulled over twice in the last month. I don't know. It just feels a little funny. It feels a little funny. I tried. Um, Michael Seals told me over the whole um, petitioning the signatures that some people threatened to beat me up into a pulp in the county clerk's office. And I don't know how to fight, so I just informed the police, and they told me I'm not allowed to file a police report. Gowans in Public Safety came out to me. I had to wait three hours, but they came out. They talked to me. They said, sorry, Mr. Stanley, you're not allowed to file a police report. And then they left. And I just want to make sure that you guys know that. You guys have already been served. There's a lawsuit in the works. It's got to stop. This is too much. When somebody threatens your life, or your safety, your peace of mind. Like, I couldn't just go up and say, like, hey, Commissioner Juarez, I heard somebody say that they were going to do something violent, you know? I couldn't cause you distress. But then, like, say, oh, I heard somebody say this, and I think it was legitimate, and you should have reason to be afraid. I'm not saying that, but that's not something that you should be able to do. Like, genuinely. I feel like it would cause people distress mental health. We got to work on it. Mental health, transparency. We can do it. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Thank you. Anyone else in the chambers this evening that would like to provide a public comment? Seeing no one else, Patricia Vargas, do we have anybody who's called in? Caller ending in 9414, you have three minutes. Hello, caller ending in 9414, you have three minutes for public comment. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, my name is Alina Evans, and I am calling. Um, I really just want to read out loud an email that I sent to all of the city commissioners, the city manager and the vice manager. Um, so I am writing an email in response to an article that I read on uh, MLive. It is titled, Police Board Finds Officers Mishandled Woman's Arrest, but City Manager Disagrees. I read that the city manager, Jim Retzma, does not believe that officers mishandled Monica Padula during her arrest. I would like to know what the reasoning behind this decision was. I was present at Monica's appeal hearing and her video showed very clearly to me and others present that she was in fact mishandled. There were accusations by the officers that she struck them with a flagpole and that was proven by video to be incorrect. It seems to me that Monica was treated with such negligent, or excuse me, with such neglect from the officers based on the incorrect accusation that she struck an officer. I'm confused as well that based on the article, you're using a still photo of an EMS person to, pr to prove that she was offered medical help, but what about the video footage that was shown? There is a known issue with KDPS, and you've heard about it tonight, um, and how they handle the black and brown community here in Kalamazoo, and we need more than just an email response saying that you're working on improving the relationship between the police and the community. This appeal was a missed opportunity to put your words into action. 
This was an opportunity to show that you care about the citizens of Kalamazoo, especially our BIPOC community. Your decision seemed rather biased to me. Is there any record of the number of appeals that have been um, brought to the board and how many of those appeals were approved or denied? Because I'm curious what the numbers are on that. It seems to me that the Board of Appeals is all smoke screens. If our city manager is just going to side with the police, why wasn't the decision based on the recommendation of the appeal board? What then is the purpose of the appeal board if the city manager is just going to make his own decisions regardless of the recommendation? And where is the accountability? Where is the transparency? The root of this entire arrest is because a black man was on the ground and unable to breathe while being arrested and a black and indigenous woman, Monica Padula, stepped in to protect him. The reason she was even present was to help the houseless community while they were being forced to vacate land. Who will protect our most vulnerable populations if activists are violated by the police and the city of Kalamazoo turns a blind eye? How can a houseless person be evicted anyways? Really, that's the question too. Um, how many resources are being poured into the houseless community only for the city to pay for a bulldozer and throw everything away. How does this make sense? And I would ask that you drop the charges against Monica Padula and all the other activists that were present that day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Patricia. Caller ending in 5250, you have three minutes. Caller ending in 5250, you have three minutes for public comment. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my name is Remy Harrington. Um, I wanted to attend tonight, but I'm just going to call in. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, yes. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Remy Harrington. Yes, we can um, hear you. Go ahead. Okay. Um, just a second. Okay, can you hear me? Just feedback. Um, I was just calling um, to get. Just, I would like for us to to be able to clarify the administrative purview of the city planner. Um, I am on the ZBA, and I'm currently concerned about the current system of checks and balances. Um, without this being clarified, it creates the ability for there to be administrative shifts and amendments to ordinances that or, that undermine the um, decisions of the citizen boards. And I'd like for that to be clarified. Um, currently, it outlines that the city planner has jurisdiction powers, duties, and administrative um, adjustments where she, she's able to review, hear, consider, approve, or disapprove um, ordinances. Um, and that's obvious that it's being leveraged tonight, specifically in um, the case of tonight's um, change for item number um, two, F2. And I just would like that to be clarified um, because I think that it's just insufficient to say that, you know, we're going to make this decision and the information was on the website. Um, I think that the solution to that is, I love you too, Gwendolyn. <laughs> I think that it should be outlined um, on a specific place on the website. I think that that's 
it undermines transparency when you just say it's on the website. People don't know where that's at. What are you talking about? Um, and I just would like you guys to think about how most of the things tonight have been, they go directly back to um, what our position is about, um, I don't know. I just think that we just have a really, really unfortunate way that we're um, silencing the voice of the constituency. I think maybe some of this conversation should be had offline, but um, I just would like for us to think about the condition of the things that are coming before the, the city commission tonight. Thank you for your time. I think maybe some of this conversation should be had offline. Caller ending in 8893, you have three minutes. Hey, good evening, commissioners. I hope you can hear me. I uh, want to thank you all for your work. My name is JJ. Uh, special shout out to Commissioner Juarez and Commissioner Hoffman. A uh, lot of uh, interesting comments that were brought up tonight. Uh, now, I just want to remind us that race and racism and white supremacy plays a factor in everything uh, in our American society. And whether that's uh, environmental racism, uh, whether that's housing, whether that's policing, or whether that's education, um, that the history of race and racism uh, plays a huge factor in that. In our current state in Kalamazoo, in terms of the wealth gap, specifically for African-Americans and black folks and descendants of slaves uh, in Kalamazoo, in the city of Kalamazoo, deserves a strategic approach um, through our economic development and through our uh, enormous amount of wealth, um, because our wealth gap and our racial wealth gap is not going to be uh, um, erased through uh, home ownership, through good credit, or through owning businesses alone. Um, and I think our city, being one of the best cities in the nation, uh, has everything it takes to adopt a reparations uh, policy. Um, the county of Kalamazoo has adopted a reservation, uh, excuse me, reparations policy, and we're hoping they can get their act together to uh, put some movement behind that. But I really do believe in our city, and with everything that was brought up today, uh, we know that race and racism plays a, a huge factor. And I think we uh, owe the citizens of Kalamazoo, specifically the African-American citizens, a more strategic approach to how we're going to address the racial wealth gap. Because our children, um, the Kalamazoo Promise citizens, really deserve a fighting chance. And I think um, we all know that until we address um, the huge poverty that African-Americans and black and brown folks face in Kalamazoo in the city that we're not really going to address any of the other issues, whether it be environmental, housing, uh, crime and violence, until we really address that, that issue. So I hope, City Commission, that you can consider that. Um, and I look forward to talking with you and strategizing with our great city about how we can uh, adopt a reparations policy. Thank you, and keep up the great work. There are no more calls, Mayor. That's it then? All right.
I, I want to thank everyone who took the time, made the effort to come down here to the chambers and make comments and to call in this evening as well. I know sometimes it can seem a little awkward, but this is the opportunity on our business meeting agenda uh, to present your comments to us. Uh, obviously, it is not a time for uh, you know a back and forth discussion, but there are also opportunities for that as uh, commissioners are spending time going out in neighborhoods, uh, having the opportunity for listening sessions, a whole variety of uh, other opportunities. So thank you once again for everyone who participated. Next on our agenda are public hearings, and the first thing I want to do is open a public hearing to receive comments on item F1. Now that is the Tax Increment Financing and Development Plan for the Northside Cultural Business District Authority. You, Paul? All right. Thanks, Mayor Cooney and Commissioners. My name is PJ Thuringer, Paul Thuringer. I'm Development Project Coordinator with the CPED Department. Um, I'm here to answer questions on the city side. Maddie Jordan Woods, the chair of the Northside Cultural Business District Authority, has a short presentation that might inform the public um, as well. So, Maddie, if you uh, wouldn't mind. So I'm horrible when it comes to technology, and I just got told that I'm going to work this PowerPoint. So good luck on this one. So the Northside Cultural Business District, we thought it was important that people could see exactly where the boundaries were that um, we are asking for the TIF district. It is a small area compared to what the Northside is. So that is what you see. The boundaries are Westnich, Frank, Willard, and the little uncle right outside of Harrison. So they told me to push this. Okay, <laughs> there we go. So we thought it would be um, important to give a history of NACD to look at that there have been um, over from 2009 all the way to 2018 resident engagement the um, residents over and over talked about the things that was needed in the community and it really wasn't until 2018 when the city told all of the neighborhoods that they needed to imagine their neighborhood and come up with a neighborhood plan. So again, another three meetings um, was done and the residents went around and they said the things that they wanted. A history of NACD in the meeting when the resolution established the authority was approved. It was determined that the CIA was necessary to redevelop its commercial corridors, increase the number of resident-owned businesses, especially those by underserved, underrepresented, historically disenfranchised, historically excluded, and low-income residents, and promote the general economic growth of the city. So what is NACD doing? Our anti-gentrification strategy involves housing and construction, workforce development, NACD certified nursing assistant training programs, medical coding and billing training programs, computer numeric control program, access for all skills training programs. So before I go to the next slide, obviously NACD is doing that. We have a host of partners from the workforce development program. The future of NACD plans is affordable housing, tech and vocational center, 
the tiny house project where Gwen Hooker has been spearheading that. And this is another example of where a resident has an idea that she wants to take control and make an impact for a certain population and that the neighborhood association assist them. This project will be turned over to Hope through navigation and they will run that program. The affordable housing, this, those four homes that you're looking at, they are on Ransom Street or they will be on Ransom Street. Who are our partners? NACD works with many community partners, including the city of Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo Promise, List Kalamazoo, Bronson, Michigan Career Technical Institute, Urban Alliance, and more. In 2018, at the three community meetings, residents defined the immediate actions of a specific corridor area called the Northside Cultural Business District. On November 5, 2018, by resolution number 1878, the City Commission established the Northside Cultural Business District Authority and Development Area. On April 15, 2019, the City Commission appointed members to the Northside Cultural Business District Authority. The Northside Cultural Business District Improvement Authority is necessary to one, redevelop its commercial corridors, increase the number of resident-owned businesses, especially those by underserved, underrepresented, historically disenfranchised, historically excluded, and low-income residents, and promote the general growth of the city. We want to make sure that people truly understand what we are trying to do with this tax debt. It is not a new tax. What is the TIF increment financing? It's an economic development tool that helps local governments improve historic districts, restore rundown and underdeveloped areas, or jumpstart economically challenged parts of a city. TIF is based on the concept that public infrastructure investments support conditions that spur private development, leading to higher property values and other economic benefits, such as new jobs and higher sales tax revenues. The basic premise is that because these economic benefits would not occur but for the upfront public sector investments, municipalities might decide to capture the new property tax revenue and use it to pay for the infrastructure investments that are expected to spark the growth. Earlier this evening, one of the speakers got up and said, hey, what really is going to make that difference is the opportunities that will be long lasting, they will be brick and mortar. That's what we're talking about in TIFF. How do TIFs improve communities? TIF districts encourage and promote long-term economic development and opportunities within a defined area. The increased revenue may be used to pay for development projects within the district. A development project be, could be, for example, new infrastructure, including roads or bridges, new street lights, the improvement, creation of demolition of buildings, a new shopping center, stadium parks, water treatment facilities, and yes, the Gazette article said a museum, but obviously our priorities is housing and for people to be trained for good paying jobs. Why is there a need for a tax increment financing? TIF provides local governments again with the tools to overcome economic barriers in specific areas and partner with developers and investors to make improvements. Our TIF is saying that why can't residents also be involved in that? That is the whole premise behind it, to bring in people who actually live in the district so that they will be able to benefit from all the things that we talk about in the tax increment financing. 
What effect does TIF have on county schools and other districts' residents? County schools and other districts, et cetera, continue to receive all tax revenue they were entitled to before the creation of the TIF district. So I want to make clear we are not trying to take taxes from anyone who is already receiving taxes on items or businesses that are already within the district. Residents in the newly created TIF district will continue to pay their taxes. Any increase in revenue attributable to an increase in assessed property values from the base value going forward is captured by the TIF authority. Ultimately, improving these undeveloped areas of the city increased the tax bases in the long run. Corridor Improvement Authority, Economic Development Tool. Again, we just as a neighborhood is saying, what things can we use to better improve the area in which we live, work, and play? Established by state statute, assist with funding improvements in corridors outside of downtown, administered like the Downtown Development Authority, administered by a board, ability to establish a tax increment financing TIF plan, create special bond assessments, issue revenue bonds, guide use of funds to meet authority priorities, make plans and implement plans, conduct studies, enter into contracts. Our plan was developed the neighborhood plan in 218. Uh, last year, again, we did the TIF plan, which trying to incorporate and allow for opportunities to be able to implement the plans that our residents discussed in 2018's neighborhood plan. The corridor improvement plan, what is it? It's made up of five to nine members, minimum of seven recommended by the city attorney. The majority of the members must either own property or have business interests within the authority. At least one of the members must reside within the authority boundary or within a half a mile of it. City Commission approves members recommended by the mayor. NCBD priorities provide financial incentives to increase the number of resident-owned businesses, especially those by underserved, underrepresented, historically disenfranchised, historically exclude, excluded, and low-income residents. So, you know, really, that is almost everybody. But I want to give a shout-out to uh, one of our, our committee members, uh, Ricky Thrash and his wife, Yvonne. They are both retirees from the city and hope you will visit their site on North and Burdick. Increase the amount of affordable housing available based on income levels in the city of Kalamazoo. These are our priorities. Build the cultural identity of the neighborhood with a new logo, murals, art installations, and preserving culturally significant places. Priorities again, improve facades, infrastructure, sidewalks, and streetscaping. That was mentioned earlier. TIF capture is not a new or additional tax. TIF capture may only be used in accordance with Part 6 of Act 57 of 2018 and other laws. TIF capture may only be used in accordance with the TIF and development plan. TIF capture may only be spent within the order, or authority's district boundaries. TIF capture will spur the economy for all. If approved, TIF capture will begin in 2023. Any questions? Thank you, Manny. That was awesome. You are totally tech savvy. <laughs> Questions from commission members? You may have covered everything. I think Very she detailed. Did. I, think she did. I just right. have to give thanks to uh, Jamie Marsman and um, the attorneys that were brought on to make sure that we were legally correct so that when you sent it to the state, and um, we couldn't have done this without 
our partners, the city staff. So I really want to thank them. And anyone knows me know that I can be trying at times. So thank you, guys. Thank you very, very much. So there is no action. This is a hearing tonight. No action required. But there's still work going on, isn't there? Do you want to talk a little bit about that in terms of visits with other tax collecting jurisdictions? Might be helpful. All right. Thank you, David. So one of the things that you must do is you must contact, like, the um, Kalamazoo Public Library, KRESA, Kalamazoo County. So we've reached out to them because, like, with Kalamazoo Public Schools, you cannot use any of the taxes. But we still wanted them to know what we were trying to do since many of their students live in our neighborhood. The... Um, Kalamazoo Public Library, we're asking them if they would opt in, because they would have to opt in. Uh, Kalamazoo County, we're asking them to support it. And um, David, you are right. We understand that right now they're talking about there's very little dollars. I truly do not know where the Gazette, Gazette got 32 million. They know something we don't, so they could please tell us that they could share that with us. But the goal is for us to let the entire community know that there's residents, business people, that saying the north side is valuable and the people that live in it, that after everything and the dust settles, that the people that were there in the beginning should have the opportunity to be there in the end. So thank you guys again. Thank you. Amen to that. So just as a, a little additional information, uh, one of the seats on the board is the seat for the mayor. So I've been attending those meetings, which have been gone on all throughout uh, pandemic here since 2019. And it has been work that's been challenging and taken a lot of effort and had some setbacks, but, but we are on the final stretch with this now. And uh, that will be done. Uh, just a reminder, I think it's very, very important. This is capturing new value, not existing value, to redirect it geographically, specifically into this area. Just a few years ago, this was not allowed necessarily. Cities were allowed, in essence, one DDA that they could use downtown. But this corridor enhancement uh, district has allowed additional tax increment financing districts, specifically like this one, the NCBDA, in order to do this Long-term work, I'll be interested to hear about that $32 million also, but this long-term work uh, which uh, will be carried on by the generations to come to create uh, the kind of placemaking and, and neighborhood location that we want it to be for this, this defined district. So thank you very much for your presentation and your continued work on this. I think we're ready to move on. Next, then, I need to close the, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you, Terry Robinson. Is there anyone in the audience who'd like to make comments? I'm Carolyn Fully, and I live at 816 Staples Avenue, Kalamazoo. I am also, um, on the board with the North Side District. But I just want to leave with you. I was raised that charity begins at home and then spreads abroad. So if we don't fight for what we want in our house, we will never have it. So I hope you consider everything that Maddie has said. And then when the decision comes down, that it will be a positive one for us. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Anyone else who wants to comment on this item? Thank you for the reminder, Attorney Robinson. I appreciate that. Seeing no more comments, I would now like to close this public hearing. There's no requested action at this time. Correct? Correct. All right. So next, I'd like to open a public hearing on item F2, an ordinance to amend the text of Chapter 50, Zoning of the Kalamazoo City Code. Manager Isman, is there a staff presentation on this item? We have our community planning economic development staff available. Uh, are we, oh, for questions, yes. And um, I would just like to acknowledge that our newly appointed deputy director of community planning economic development is here, Antonio Mitchell, congratulations. So without a formal presentation, uh, this is all in our agenda packet. Are there specific questions uh, that commissioners would like to ask of staff at this time? Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so I guess who's gonna be answering the questions? Hmm? We'll be answering, oh, there's Ms. Anderson. <laughs> Hello, is your, is your microphone on? Is it on? Yeah, I may have. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, I just had a couple of questions. I was kind of reading over this over the weekend and there was a lot of information and a lot of changes within this particular code. Um, and I think one that I'm gonna focus on a little bit is the one regarding the marijuana use um, and what, what codes, the, what's gonna be changing within that code. Um, so I just had a couple of questions. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, we're changing things in here. Uh, I think we had a conversation about this last commission meeting regarding the drive-throughs and the amount of feet um, between facilities. Um, I guess one question, main question that I have is, has there been an outpour from the community for these changes or is it coming from the businesses themselves? I like to make sure we answer mm -hmm. both of those community versus business sure so the changes that are in uh, that relate to the marijuana use section in the zoning code just like the other sections that are here tonight are mostly staff driven these are items that we have used over the last year two years depending on the section three years that have either been unclear have caused difficulties in applying them um, or that um, uh, we have, have come forward to the Zoning Board of Appeals multiple times for questions. Specifically, as it relates to the marijuana um, items that you mentioned, one, we currently do not allow drive-throughs for marijuana businesses in the city. That language is currently in Chapter 20, not in the Zoning Code. So it's with the licensing information. And the reality is that it's a, it's a land use issue uh, not a licensing issue, so it belongs in the zoning code. So we are moving it to the zoning code where it belongs, where we regulate other drive-throughs for other types of businesses. Um, so that is why it's being put in here. It's not new, it's just gonna be moving locations. As it relates to um, the distances, um, 
Medical marijuana, which was approved first, was, uh, was done through the state legislature, and they set out kind of specific parameters on how you can approve the ordinance. A couple years later, citizen initiative comes through, different set of parameters, um, and uh, you know, the city adopted medical and adult use at different times. And if you look at the way the two ordinances exist now, there are different distance requirements for what is known as um, a provisioning center, which is the retail outlet for medical, and uh, for a retailer, the commercial outfit for selling um, cannabis products. However, uh, the state and the city allows those two businesses to operate in one, in, in, on one location, but they have different rules. And so it's become difficult for staff um, to uh, administer uh, the parameters because while they are essentially the same business, they have a different set of rules on it. And so the changes that are being proposed tonight are merging those so they have the same set of rules. Okay. Um, so then it's more of, and again, I guess I go back to my question, is it more of community-driven or is it more business-driven? Are businesses, you know, bringing this issue up, or is it, as you said, just the staff driven because you guys are running into issues when individuals are coming and asking for certain, certain things? Sure, so again, most of these edits, all of these edits are staff driven. We keep a running list of, whenever we use the code, we keep a running list when we have conversations uh, with developers, with residents, what is hard to apply, what doesn't work, what is causing problems, we keep a running list. Um, and are here with you know with you tonight with the Planning Commission last month um, to make those changes based on that running list. So these things are being changed um, because they are on staff's running list of things that uh, we would like to see change to help us in our application of the code and to make sure that we're treating uses the same, similar uses the same. Okay, Commissioner uh, Decker, I'm going to jump in just a second here. So I would just suggest to some extent it's community driven. We have a zoning board of appeals, right, that doesn't write the zoning, you know, doesn't approve the zoning. That's something we do. But if something in the zoning, you know, is not working for folks, then a lot of people are going to the zoning board of appeals and then asking for a variance to the zoning. So from that community input, if you're seeing the same thing come back and back asking for an appeal related to that, well, that's partly staff's responsibility. I presume the zoning board of appeals might have asked you to do this, say, why don't you clear up your zoning code so everyone's not coming to us and asking for a variance? Does that fair to that describe some the portion of it? Zoning Board of Appeals stated in a meeting earlier this year, not specifically with, the, with this marijuana provision, but with several others. We keep seeing that. these requests. It's time to, you know, staff, you know, please don't delay any further and make these changes. Okay. Um. So then when it relates to the drive-throughs, you say that, you know, we regulate what or say what can have a drive-through and what cannot have a drive-through. Is that correct? That's correct. Give me some, uh, please, examples of things that you say could have a drive-through and could not have a drive-through. Let me take a step back. We don't usually, we don't tie drive-throughs uh, in um, to any specific businesses. We say what districts drive-throughs are permitted in, and we set up. Um, specific um, parameters for those drive-through, drive-throughs. So things like what is the stacking requirement? 
um, you know, where should the drive-through window be located on the lot, um, you know, front or side? Can it be, on, in, you know, adjacent to the street? So the zoning code, that is how the zoning code currently handles drive-throughs, is that they're allowed in these districts, um, and it is not, does not say only allowed with restaurant or only allowed with X other business. Um, so for a drive-through, when I think of a drive-through, I think of like a McDonald's drive-through. So is that what you're talking about? You're not talking about the curbside. You're talking about a business, say marijuana business. If they don't have a window there right now, they would then, let's say if, if it was done to where we did allow drive-throughs, then it would be in the instance of say a McDonald's where someone could a business could then put in a window and have someone drive through is is that what you're talking about yes and we have a picture illustrating in the zoning code what a drive-through looks like I did um, see that yeah so uh, and that is you mentioned curbside pickup um, that is those are two different entities right um, drive-through we talk about the stacking the window the ordering and payment um, and you know how that operates and curbside pickup is a different element okay. a different activity accessory activity um that was questions i had regarding the marijuana one within this there are tons of other um updates that are also being made um i personally would like to have more time to review all of those and talk more with staff um going forward so i would have to say that as of this time until i get more information um, and speak with more of the staff, I would have to uh, say no to this. So I just want to go on the record. Are there any questions that I can answer this evening for you or any um, other No, questions? that was, I mean, it was a okay. big document. It was a lot of red um, within mm -hmm. that. I had a time to go through certain things. Um, I do uh, agree with, you know, what is in place with the, the adult areas. Um, or businesses um, but again there's just other stuff in there that I haven't quite grasped yet and I'd like to get some more information on that before I could I can move forward thank you thanks other questions for staff yeah the um, between the the medical use and the rules with uh, recreational and medical and changing those and making them one like what is the reasoning behind that sure so the what was changed to be this what was being proposed to be changed is to allow the provisioning center and uh the um the retailer to have the same distance parameter from other uses right now the provisioning center and i'm quickly flipping um lists um different distances and more protected uses that a business must be located from a retailer has some of the same distances and some of the same protected uses, but it's a shorter list. Our code and the state code both say that those businesses can be located in the same location, but because of the distance parameters that we have in there, you actually can't always locate them in the same location. What's being proposed doesn't change the number of spaces that can house a retailer, a, a facility that sells cannabis, um, because we're merging them into what exists now. You know, we have two separate rules, and we're merging them into what, uh, into one. Um, so the, it, you know, those purple maps that you have, may have looked at online, which locate, you know, approximate locations from certain protected uses where businesses can go, 
that's not changing. Um, it's just how medical and uh, adult use can be reviewed together. Hmm. It almost seems like medical is just irrelevant now because of adult use. I mean, wh why do we still make rule no? So, Attorney Robinson, do you want to answer that question? Um, medical is still viable because people under the age of 21 can get a medical card. Mm. Uh, there's no tax if you are a card-carrying medical patient. Otherwise, if you're going into adult use, there's a 10% excise tax and the 6% sales tax. So in essence, you're paying 16% tax on, your, on the uh, item that you buy at a marijuana uh, retailer. Whereas if you're a medical patient and you're going to a provisioning center, which are, has Ms. Anderson pointed out, are oftentimes both in the same location, you don't pay that 16% tax. So the medical end of it is still very viable. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Other, yes, Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you, good evening. I have a couple of questions. So does the city have a cannabis committee? Is there a group that meets? Okay, what is their stance on these, these proposed changes? So I, I don't know if Paul or Antonio would like to come up and speak to this because they handle the committee directly. Specifically, hi, PJ Thuringer. Um, specifically, we did share with them. Um, it was mainly talking about the aligning of the adult use and medical in the distances is what was our main concern. Um, I guess, can you maybe expound a little bit on your question of what is, they realize that it is mainly being driven by the zoning ordinance and in order to have it so it's easier for staff and the community to find out where they can put a, a, a licensed operation is mainly what it is. Okay. Um, also, I, I don't see a lot of language uh, going into the social equity piece of this. And um, my concern is that um, I'm, I'm sure we may have one a BIPOC business owner that's doing cannabis, maybe, I'm not for sure. Um, how are we going to address those things? Because I don't hear a lot about that. And, and like Commissioner Decker said, this, we had a huge packet this week. And there was a lot of red. And for, for me being new, I don't want to speak for the new, newer commissioners, but for myself, um, this was not enough time to really go in and make a decision um, without having the history. And so I just wanted to put that on the floor. Um, and also, we, we can do much more, we can do much better with including the BIPOC community in the cannabis uh, arena. Y'all just trying to get me up here, I understand. Um, Mayor, commissioners, um, the, the answer to the BIPOC uh, question is being uh, looked at by staff to assist with the dollars we're getting back from the state is to redirect those hopefully into um, like a canvas chamber. Uh, we're looking into that process to hire staff to hopefully help put together a plan to hire consultants so we can redirect those dollars to assist in that growth and development of um, small BIPOC businesses um, in the community. Right now, currently, the city does not have an initiative in that area. 
and that's what we'll be developing hopefully between this year and next year that's that's the mission now in the case of this what you're looking at though this is just a zoning component that's being changed uh, the implementation of what we do with dollars that we're getting back and how we're going to reinvest those into the community is something that's coming forth thank you for that um also how much has been recaptured thus far how much has the city uh, how much has been received since everything took place in this ordinance, like, I guess, since the last two years? Yes. Um, so from my knowledge, um, we received just recently almost 600000 um, That's going to be an amendment um, to the budget coming up. Um, previously, we have an additional almost 300000 that we're going to be utilizing currently for, um, like I said, the new position and hopefully hiring a consultant to deal with the equity initiative that we plan on going forth uh, this year. Just a quick question, I'm gonna jump in here. Mm -hmm. Don't we have a policy, a 25% policy related to those proceeds? You wanna talk about that a little bit? Yes, so pretty much what, what happens is 25% um, policy that the mayor is talking about is that the city uh, commission in the past put in um, pretty much the ordinance that we would capture a percentage of that um, dollars that we get back through um, taxes, uh, capture that we get from the state, but also um, proceeds for licensing. And so that 25% of that gets put into the general fund to be utilized, to be put back into the community currently. Thank you. Attorney Robinson. Yeah, commissioners, if I, and this is for the newer commissioners, the city's marijuana policy is built on a three-legged stool. There are three components. The first is the zoning ordinance, which you're asked, being asked to um, approve an amendment to this evening so as to bring uniformity in the way that we treat both medical and recreational businesses. The second piece is the licensing ordinance. Changes are I'm in the process of drafting those changes, and hopefully they'll come to you at the next meeting or the meeting after that. Some, so see the first or second meeting in June. That's the, the second leg. And the that's third, chapter 20? That's chapter 20B. And the third leg is your social equity policy. That's adopted by the commission. That's followed again by staff. Uh, there is already a change or is a change in the uh, zoning ordinance, or not, shouldn't say changes, was in there uh, when we were able to address social equity, that actually if you are a qualified social equity individual, you get reduced distances from other businesses. So if you're a non-social equity applicant, you've got to, I think roughly you say have to stay a thousand feet from another marijuana business. But if you're a social equity, that's reduced to 500. So we're using that opportunity for infill. The, the problem is, twofold. Number one, and I appreciate where Commissioner Hoffman is coming from, from BIPOC, you don't, you can't identify people as saying, well, we're going to give a preference to black or people of color. That violates the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. What we can say is that we can say that those individuals who have been disproportionately affected by marijuana enforcement, which historically has been people of color, are going to be uh, the ones that are governed by the social equity policy. So we take that uh, issue out of the, the mix, if you will, so as to avoid constitutional problems. And we also have 
indicated there are certain, again, census tracts in the city of Kalamazoo, which again, tend to be predominantly occupied by people of color who qualify for that social equity policy. But we don't, we can't identify saying we're gonna give this benefit to minorities. We have to be very careful the way we frame that. Uh, and the state recognizes that as well. Um, the, the other thing that, um, I've kind of lost my track there. There's, there's one other point that I wanted to make. Um, I, think that's, I think that's basically it. And, and that um, uh, policy is coming back to you uh, probably again in June or July once we make the changes in the zoning code and in the licensing code. Oh, I, that's the, that reminds me. The other challenge, unfortunately, is, and again, I, from my perspective, I believe that Michigan voters, particularly voters of color, were sold a bill of goods on the recreational uh, proposition that was adopted in 218. In 2018, adult use, and there was a, a line in there talking about the disproportionate impact of, of people uh, who have been affected by marijuana enforcement. The problem is that it's a question of capital. When we were having our listening tour, when we were considering uh, the changes that we wanted to make in our ordinance, it was enlightening. It was an African-American woman from uh, Flint who was down here advocating and said, the problem is capital. People of color don't have access to capital. And I can tell you, this is not unique to Kalamazoo. In the state of Michigan, there are very few people of color who have um, a business and what we're attempting to do is seeing what we can do through the uh, initiative that um, Mr. Mitchell outlined is to give local people that opportunity to get their foot in the door. One of the things uh, that uh, was most recently changed is, and this is the so-called micro-business was going to be the, the avenue. Well, that you, you were limited to um, growing only 150 plants and you had to do processing, sales, and grow in one operation. Well, and I can tell you based upon what I've been told by the, the people in the industry, that takes a lot of capital in order to get a grow facility of processing. So now there is a new classification that was recently approved by the state that we will be working into our licensing process was what they call a class A micro business. You only have to grow 150 plants. You don't have to have a processing operation. You can permit that to be done by somebody else, and then you can do retail. So that's going to uh, hopefully create another opportunity, and we're going to take advantage of that. And again, that's going to be worked into our new licensing ordinance that, again, I hope to have before you in, in June. So I wanted to give you some of that background so you know that <coughs> staff is, is working on it. Uh, we right. understand the challenges, uh, but it is, mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to necessarily get to because we, quite frankly, want to see the same thing as, as you do in, in terms of getting local people who have been disproportionately impacted by marijuana enforcement in the past an opportunity to get, their, uh, get a leg up and involved in this industry. I, Other questions for staff? Yeah. yeah. I, Mr. Morris. I appreciate your comments, uh, Attorney Roberts, but as history shows that some of these things that take place to support you know, local individuals, um, like this initiative is four years out. Why wasn't it looked at in the beginning? And you 
you wonder why people like Brother Jacob call and say racism is attached to everything. When people of color get the crumbs that are coming off the table in ways where four years down the line, you're thinking about an initiative that might help those who were disproportionately affected by marijuana use or sales. You can't take back time that was taken from people. And at the end of the day, if we keep putting ourselves in these positions where we're four years down the line and we're talking about an initiative should have been, that should have been implemented in the beginning, this is why people of color are so upset. Oh, and it's one of those things where we have to really be mindful and considerate of. Because where are these facilities being launched? In the Edison neighborhood, in the Millwood neighborhood. They're not in suburbia, you know what I mean? There's some that are a little bit out, you know what I mean? But it just, it's one of those things where it's easy to do. The majority of the, like, the percentage of um, white owners, what, what is the percentage of that? How many black owners do we have? <clears throat> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have that number. How many um, Hispanic owners do we have? Pretty much, I know in the case of African American, we got a, just a handful. When I say I, a handful, less than five. Less than five? Yes. How many, how, how about white owners? That's majority, pretty much. Yeah. So again, we look at a, 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 something that was passed, right? Bill of goods that was sold to a people that doesn't make sense that we're talking about this four years down the line. This is the, this is the systemic racism that people of color talk about. And if we don't start actually thinking about that and, 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 and taking action in the beginning of things that are happening to benefit people who were disproportionately affected, we're just we're part of this vicious cycle. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that I, like people of color or people who are dis disproportionately thought about afterwards, four years down the line, why people made millions and millions of dollars hands over fist. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And this is continual perpetuating hurt to those who are disproportionately affected by it. My, my, my dad was in prison for marijuana sales. He can't get that time back. But then now we got the majority of white owners selling marijuana up to wazoo, $50 an ounce at times, just to draw people in. It makes no sense. So I appreciate the people who say we need transparency. I appreciate the people who say we need accountability. I appreciate when people hold our feet to the fire to do something different. And for me, it's very concerning that this is an afterthought. Very concerning. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Juarez. So, Attorney Robinson, uh, where did this change occur in the state law that is uh, providing another opportunity now? Well, right from the outset, Kalamazoo was identified as one of the impacted communities, and so we worked on that right from the beginning when we uh, decided to permit adult use marijuana businesses in the city, and that was done in pre-COVID. We started the work um, in late 2019, and, and uh, we 
came online, if you will, on June 1st of 2020. And as part of that, we had the licensing, we had the zoning, and we adopted a social equity policy. So there was thought by staff at the time of what can we do to make social equity real in Kalamazoo. So I, I, with all due respect, Commissioner Juarez, is we have not coming to the table late. We've been trying to think what we can do to make it work for our uh, local individuals who have been impacted by marijuana enforcement. The, the problem, as I indicated, is, and this is a little bit outside the city's uh, scope, is access to capital. That is a problem, and that's why uh, what Mr. Mitchell indicated is that what can we do to attack that problem? And only recently are, have we got the money from the state in order to do that. We got a small payment, relatively small payment, last year after the, because we uh, permitted adult use businesses in 2020, we got a 2021 payment for, based on that 10% excise tax I talked about. We got a little bit more this year uh, for the 2021 sales because again, marijuana sales across the state have increased. We're sharing in that bounty, if you will, and that's why we want to come before you with a, a, an amended social equity policy so as to make use of that increased capital. So Commissioner Hoffman mentioned a committee. How many people of color are on that committee? I think it's majority, but I don't want to answer that. Uh, two out of three. Two out of three. Um, how, many, how many people of color or people who are disproportionately affected by marijuana use, like people who had felonies or served federal time that you guys talked about or talked to that could help this process with this social equity piece? I don't know if I understand your question. So how many people who are disproportionately affected in prison sentencings on a federal level because of marijuana have you talked to about this social equity piece? I personally have not talked to any. How, how, how about the city? As Attorney Robinson stated, that was talked about at the beginning of the process. And at that time, um, I can't answer the numbers, but this chamber was full of individuals that participated during the first step of getting the equity plan initiated. How many of those licenses were, were or people who were applicants of those licenses? I know the state made some kind of um, incentive for those who were disproportionately affected uh, for licensing at a discount, like 25% if you were within a district, or uh, how many of applicants did we get for those? Um, to my knowledge, we don't track that information on background information. We do not track that information with our assessments of the companies. Mm. We do pretty much assess how many individuals are being hired in, from this community and all, are also um, BIPOC population, we track that information, but not in the case of ownership, but mm -hmm. employment. Okay, so I appreciate your, um, the conversations, Attorney Roberts, and I, and I really do um, think that our, our city, like uh, Brother Jacob called in, said we are one of the like, best cities in the nation, I believe that. But a conversation is owed to communities who are disproportionately 
um, affected, it's much more than a conversation that's old. It's much more than just a thought. It's like real tangible action that changes how I view, because you remember I made this statement a, long, a while back, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And if people who are disproportionately uh, affected by this know how much the city actually cares about them, the difference in their um, participation of this might increase or might feel like, you know, prosperity for me is what the city really wants. And so it's just we're caught in this position where we think about these things and, and, and we're talking about these initiatives and these, these great things that are happening for our community, just not fast enough for people of color because of access to capital. And so when Brother Jacob calls in and says everything's tied to racism, when, when a Hispanic or a black, can't go, a black individual can't go get a loan, a business loan, or doesn't have the, the understanding of financial literacy, how do we help those people? How do we help uh, you know, lift and elevate, educate and elevate those people? There's a saying at Urban Alliance, my Yefensio uh, Harris, shout out to him, educate and elevate. If we can educate people, if we, can, if we just put the, the opportunity on the table and expect people to take it and say, do with it what you want, instead of educating them and showing them how to use it, because I believe the systems that exist in this country are for me to take, to take advantage of too, and I'm learning that, right? Um, a buddy of mine is teaching me that, and, and I'm seeing it work for me. Um, but somebody had to teach me that. Somebody had to show me. Because like, people who are selling marijuana back in the 80s and the 90s weren't doing it because they had a great understanding of the stock market, weren't doing it because they had an awesome understanding of financial literacy. They were doing it because it was disparity. It was lack of opportunity. And it was one of those things where we got to do better at educating people, not just creating an opportunity. Les Brown, motivational speaker, says, I'd rather be prepared for the opportunity when it comes, I can kill it, than when the opportunity comes and I don't know what the hell to do with it. And so that's our obligation to our people. And so I just hope that that would be the very narrative that we're moving into the future, saying we're educating people. We're not just giving people opportunities. We're educating them and giving them resources to be successful. Thanks, Commissioner Juarez. Manager Ritzma. Yeah, I just wanted to maybe propose a, an alternative here to discussing this uh, with realizing that commissioners didn't have time to, to uh, review all of the information. And that idea is to hold a committee of the whole meeting on this topic. And... Um, take some time to to really go through this I would appreciate any questions in advance so staff are prepared uh, to answer questions in, in discussion and um, and then we can proceed accordingly that sounds like a reasonable suggestion so just back to a the team maybe attorney Robinson so various components a lot of the discussion tonight has obviously been you know, we're looking at a detail of cleaning up a zoning ordinance, and that's what we're talking about for action tonight, right? But obviously that's opened up a door for a much broader conversation, which is going to be addressed uh, not only maybe to some extent in licensing, but probably more fully in our social equity policy, which is coming to us. So, uh, Manager Ismar, are you thinking about connecting all those issues in a committee of the whole? Yeah, I think 
everything's going to be coming forward, so it makes sense to do it all at once. Uh, yeah, Planner Anderson. I just wondered if I could clarify for the Committee of the Whole, is this going to be marijuana-focused, or is this marijuana-focused and the zoning, other zoning edits that aren't marijuana-associated, just so I, we can be prepared? That's a good question. Thoughts, Commissioners? I think yeah. Commissioner Prado had a comment before we can answer that question. Okay, I just want to close that loop here just a second here. So I, I think it would be intentional to connect the dots. Um, zoning, marijuana, business, why if, why all of it works together, right? Um, that would be ideal, I think. My perspective, that's it. I agree, just the whole the chapter 50 and going through things and and just kind of seeing how things play along because uh, we also had a comment regarding you know from a, um, a resident here within the city it also talks about some of the zoning changes um, and thinking about again protecting the bicyclists people on mopeds I believe it was the walking when we start doing uh, the updates to the I believe it is the Inkster Bridge the Inkster Bridge so I think was that some of that within the red stuff too or no? No, okay. No, Inksterbridge is a public service project, um, not zoning related. Okay, Yeah. Right. The, thank you for that clarification. Awesome, yeah. thank you. So I will suggest is that there is gonna be certainly a zoning component that is tied to this topic, but there is a vast amount of zoning discussion which is not part and parcel of the discussion about uh, you know marijuana so I mean there are there are overlapping pieces but to some extent those are very very different conversations about different functions so I don't know if we want to try to do both those things at the same time because I, I can see that easily you know the topic we've most discussed in this conversation although there there are some issues about zoning is related to you know marijuana and yeah, that and, business. So. And you're right. I think if we focus on the marijuana component, because there's a lot of discussion around how this was put together, and um, we really need to revisit that history and and really get on a solid footing, uh, so you all know what you're what you're doing, um, taking action on. So I would suggest the marijuana component uh, be a uh, topic of a committee of the whole and we'll get it on the, the schedule right so there are 12 other minor zoning edits in front yeah. of you how would you like to handle those is that something you'd like me to walk you through tonight and answer any questions I think this uh, here's I'm just gonna propose something the sense of it you know is just some details and want to be clear about some of those details obviously you know Zoning is one of those topics that, uh, you know, it's not something everybody thinks about in their everyday life. So here we are, uh, you know, a few months into our terms for some folks and a year and a half for uh, some other folks. So maybe, maybe could we put that off to our next business meeting and then have an opportunity to have some more questions answered specific to the zoning piece? Does that seem like that makes sense? Sure, I would just ask Commissioner, or, uh, City Attorney Robinson just to kind of confirm because they came together as one package, all under one ordinance, um, how we handled the splitting off, the tabling of some to the sixth, adjourning some to the sixth, and the rest to a date to be determined. That's problematic. 
came as one piece of legislation just to tease out one portion of it is going to be a substantial change in that ordinance. And if you do that, you're going to end up throwing the whole thing over until the first meeting in June anyway. Well, that's what we're talking about doing. Well, but my, my advice would be adopt the changes tonight. Uh, these were presented two weeks ago in that packet. They came to you again in tonight's packet. Um, so the, the opportunity was there. Uh, and there's more than just the marijuana piece. And quite frankly, the, the zone, you're not going to do anything in regard to some of the concerns raised by commissioners on the zoning side. Zoning has, is, if you will, doesn't care about that. It's just a question of where are you going to put this use where in the city? And to that end, we've used a dispersal model right from the outset in terms of where marijuana businesses should be located. Right, right. The turnaround around. I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. I just, I'm sorry, but uh, is it a? What's our time frame in terms of how soon we need to pass? Not the one that's tied to, you know, the the one change that is tied to the the drive through and marijuana. But as far as the balance of those clearing up, is there something that's pushing us on a timeline for that right now? The impetus is the Zoning Board 1, the Zoning Board of Appeals, asking us to move with haste mm -hmm. uh, to make these edits because they keep seeing repeated requests. That's one. Two, these have been on staff's running list for quite some time. And so when we administer the code and we're talking to the public about the code, if things aren't clear, it just requires a little extra, you know, a little more time and a little more understanding um, on both sides for those. There's not necessarily a project that is pushing these again because these have been on our list for a while sure um, so I appreciate that so yeah. there's not, not some real reason to push this and I just think attorney Robinson is that yes it's been here before but you know now it's in front of us just this idea of what I initially said can we can we put the zoning piece on June 1st can we shoot for that fully answer our questions and then schedule a deep dive into issues related to marijuana use. I, and that's not an issue with the ordinance, City Attorney Robinson, because that night I presume we would not, we will or will not take the um, marijuana edits forward. I'm just, again, just wanting clarification so I can have the right. From my perspective, the whole package is pushed off until June 6th. Okay. And at that time, all pieces are considered, and if we choose to make changes then, we make changes then. I don't, I don't think we want to do that. There, were, there was a problem tonight. There were over a thousand pages in the packet. And I, for one, needed more time to study this whole thing. And I think what I'm hearing people say is they want to reconsider all the ideas in that zoning thing that you brought forth, and then we want to consider separately um, the, the thing about marijuana. And it would seem to me that one way we could do that would just kill this thing tonight and then take the whole thing up at a different time. Uh, yeah, Commissioner Prado. Um, I was going to mention uh, 
something that's been really helpful, and I, I got a little bit of a, a cheat beforehand because I'm the liaison to the planning commission, but uh, city planner Anderson did a phenomenal like precursor presentation maybe in March, and then I think like the final presentation, which was like the cliff notes of this like chapter 50 uh, omnibus package, if you will, of everything that's coming before us, which was incredibly helpful. And so, you know, even though the planning commission unanimously passed this forward and recommended our approval of this omnibus, omnibus package, I would definitely encourage if you get a chance, those are recorded meetings. I think both of them got recorded. I know there was like some technical issues or whatever, but I would definitely encourage that. But I would, I would say, just observing for me, I think one missing component, especially as new, many new people as we have up here as well, is just that I think that that was such a great presentation, you know, to get like that precursor and then that final presentation and the planning commission got it so that can kind of give them the confidence and those folks are just you know they're whizzes at this stuff they i mean they really know their stuff and they just eat this up but i think that would be really helpful even if it were to be like you know two commissioners at a time presentation or you know if it's a committee of the whole meeting but in the meantime if you get a chance to watch those are recorded on the youtube page and they're not it wasn't a super long meeting because there wasn't a ton of, of business so it's well worth the time if you get a chance to check those out I will say for me personally, even if I, even if I felt ready myself, if, if there were any commissioners up here who had any reservations and wanted more time, I feel a strong desire to respect that and make sure that we make sure everybody feels comfortable uh, before we move on something that's as important and has this many moving parts as, as this chapter 50. Um, so that, that's all I was going to share. So, Planners, um, yes. uh, would you like a presentation on these items uh, in the, in like I did in front of plan commission at the next meeting. I think I'm seeing an affirmation around that. Is there more discussion? Does that seem like it'll be helpful? Does that seem? I think that's good and I, and I appreciate um, what Commissioner Pradel said too, was also pulling us aside two by two just to go more in depth too. Um, so thank you for bringing that up and making that suggestion. Uh, the, the other thing, I mean, if, 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 it's, if it's something to do with planning commission and could we use like what is being talked about at planning commission and then create a committee of the whole meeting so that we're presented with that information so we're not up here having to have discussions along. Huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying the packet was very long and it was, it was, it was a lot. So I'm just saying, if it's that important, we should set aside that time to make sure that we're bridging the gap between commission and planning committee, because we don't want to make the plan or uh, zoning committee, you know, be feel oscillated or feel like oh, all the work they're doing is not being seen. It's just a, a, a issue of bridging the gap. If I may, um, so uh, Commissioner Pradel mentioned how we operate at plan commission. So plan commission, there are multiple touches whenever I bring zoning forward. There were just two because this was a relatively small package of stuff. Um, when we do bigger packages, we try and do three touches at least, the beginning of the outreach, you know, mid-outreach before the public meeting and then the public meeting itself to kind of make sure everyone is on the same page and brought along and has the opportunity to ask questions. Because um, any changes to the zoning code our ordinances there's a first reading um, and you know it was on well it didn't stay on consent but there wasn't a full presentation at the last meeting I was actually out of town I could you know we could plan future uh, zoning ordinances when they come in 
to have them as a full presentation rather than um, consent if, to allow you to pre hear the same presentation that was given to plan commission in advance of this meeting. Just another option. I know Committee of the Whole schedules get very busy, so it's, there are two touches with every ordinance, so it's just another opportunity. Seems like a, a good idea to me. Commissioner Pradle. Yeah, I was going to mention as well, I mean, one thing I really appreciate about this commission is uh, the willingness to speak up, right? Because, uh, you know, people weren't willing to just rubber stamp something that was too much to digest in one packet. And uh, so I think that's a really positive thing, uh, you know, that we're willing to recognize that and, uh, you know, re-examine it to make sure we feel super confident about whatever we're doing. And I think one thing that's also kind of unique about this omnibus package is instead of it being like a specific issue, you know, it was so many scatter plot issues all over the place. And so, you know, it, it, it is a lot to digest. Um, so I, I do really appreciate that about colleagues for uh, just pumping the brakes for a second and saying, hey, you know, let's learn from this. Let's, uh, you know, try to make sure that we all feel, you know, 100% confident before we pull full steam ahead with something. But I really apologize because I know how much I bugged you and City Attorney Robinson just in the last 24 hours. So it's a lot of work and I know how much work you put into it. So I don't think it's meant to, to frustrate or diminish all that great work um, that you all have put into this, but um, you know, you have a commission that just doesn't want to rubber stamp things, and I hope you can appreciate that and value that, so that's all. Thank you very much, Commissioner Pradel. Any more questions, thoughts for staff? Any more clarification that you feel you need? Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, just Deputy for clarification, Director. which cow meeting are we trying to have the marijuana discussion? We'll have to get back on that. We do have a busy cow yes, we do. schedule yes, we do. coming up. So again, it doesn't sound like there's a real urgency to it, but okay. we'll fit it in and, and then bring it forward after the cow. So second clarification, as, as Attorney Robinson brought up, we were trying to bring another part of the three-legged stool in front of the commission in June. Should we push that off? until we have the cow meeting because it's it, the conversation is still tied yeah. to marijuana yeah i think the idea is to bring that all forward into one cow and okay. then go from there okay that's okay with the city attorney that's fine okay thank you all right thank you so much for everyone's participation seeing no more questions now's the opportunity for public comments on this item Speakers will have three minutes. Please come to the podium and let us know whether you live in the city. Thank you. Jeff Messer, city resident. Um, so I really appreciate the conversation that the commission had tonight, your pointed direct probing questions. Um, I really appreciate it that you're taking uh, the laws that govern our community seriously and i'm totally in favor of you delaying actions yeah tonight's commission pa uh, packet was like a thousand twenty four pages man so i'm glad that i got you thinking about this uh, uh, last week um the uh, general oh and then a uh, uh, planner anderson uh kept mentioning that there were some of these changes that the zoning board of appeals was wanting but uh, she didn't say specifically what it was and i'm guessing she was referring to um, the change that would allow residential uses on the first floor in the community commercial district. 
uh, that's probably what keeps coming before the Zoning Board of Appeals. So, yeah, that part, uh, if you want to maybe push one of these parts forward quickly, uh, it'd be that first floor residential in the CC zone. Um, but what uh, originally uh, got my attention to this um, was the marijuana drive-through uh, proposed to prohibition. And uh, Attorney Robinson at uh, last meeting told us that um, the state had, during the pandemic, kind of lifted some of those restrictions. And uh, there's been some good aspects of the pandemic. Um, it's caused people to uh, rethink the way they do things, and it's caused governments to realize that some regulations are unnecessary. So we've been living uh, for the past two years uh, without uh, this uh, restriction on drive-throughs. And um, as staff told you, they didn't get any complaints apparently about having this and I think we should uh, we, we have we have you know uh, the lived experience of of the drive throughs not causing a problem and some other things and so I don't see a need to regulate something that is not causing a problem so I appreciate all your service and the great discussion you all had tonight thank you thank you next please I have a few questions about the zoning thing. I've been up against the zoning board four times for the same reason. They've tried to destroy the green space next to my house, which I live in a floodplain, and it's the last one left. So Lisa Wilka has went up against the zoning board four times now, I believe, and has been denied her request to put CC in the bottom. You already found out that you can't build on the old DHS building because the ground is contaminated and it is in a floodplain. So is the green space next to me. And I just wonder, is this a sneaky way of trying to skip the zoning board who has denied that request three times now and just put it in so she can build in a floodplain? I have no problem with building anywhere. But in a floodplain, when we already have sewers that back up, and we get trapped. I just wish when you guys put your agenda online that you would just say where you're talking about. Because I have to keep taking off of work, my second job to come here, or rush from work. I have to work both jobs tomorrow. So I'll be at work from 6.30 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. But I have to keep taking time off because I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I'm sorry, but I've been done dirty so long by city boards, and this has happened since 2017, that I don't trust what you're doing if you don't tell me what you're doing or talk to me. No one talks to us in our neighborhood. So I just have a feeling that you're doing your zoning thing to skip the zoning board because it was denied three times in my neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyone else who wants to make a comment? See no one. Uh, then I'm closing the hearing, and there is no action that we need to take tonight. Next is the consent agenda. Manager Ritzma. The following items are being presented for approval. First is the approval of a professional services agreement with Prina Newhoff 
for a citywide stormwater condition assessment in the amount of $287,000. Next is the approval of a contract extension with Consumers Concrete Corporation for ready mix concrete in the amount of $463,150. Next is the adoption of a resolution adopting a project plan for wastewater system improvements and designating James J. Baker, PE, as the authorized project representative. Next is the approval of the use of $56,525 from the City Commission Initiatives Budget to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion training opportunities that will include commissioners. Next is the approval of a Housing Development Fund loan in the amount of $60,000 to Suites for Homeless, LLC, for gap financing in the creation of four affordable housing units located at 913 South Westnage. Next is the authorization for the city manager to execute an access agreement with Bronson Methodist Hospital for the property located at 1107 South Burdick Street. Next is the approval of a request from the Kalamazoo Country Club for a permit to publicly display fireworks at 1609 Whites Road on Friday, July 1st. And next Finally, approval of a request from the Kalamazoo Growlers to publicly display fireworks at Homer Stryker Field on June 3, June 24, July 1, July 4, July 15, July 22, and August 12, 2022. Thank you very much, Manager Ritzma. So, Commissioners, the requested action is a motion to approve items 1, 3 and 4, 6 and 7, and 9 and 10 and authorize the city manager to sign all related documents on behalf of the city. Is there a motion? So moved. Oh. Motion made by Commissioner Decker. Support. Supported by Commissioner Hess. Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Decker. Thank you very much, uh, Commission. The Items on the consent agenda are approved. Next, we are to our regular agenda. We have some more items on that. Uh, Manager Ritzma. G1, actually. H1 is authorization for the city attorney to execute a settlement agreement with the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Michigan to resolve allegations that a transit, transit center does not fully comply with Americans with Disabilities Act and pertinent regulations. Thank you, Manager Ritzma. Is there a staff report on this item? I, I will turn it over to the city attorney if he has anything. No, I don't. Not, nothing more than what was in the packet. Are there any questions for staff at this time on this item? Commissioner Pradle. Yeah, I was just curious in terms of, uh, I, I get the sense that uh, there was a feeling that changes had been made to the facilities that made it adequate because it was a historic facil facility, historic designated facility. Uh, and so it came as kind of a surprise that this came forward from, um, and so I was just kind of curious if you could share a little bit about that. Um, um, the the transit center went, underwent a significant renovation in, I think, 2006, 2007. And we also had a, it's a historic designated site. So at that time, 
the city believed it was in full compliance with the ADA. And um, it came as a bit of a surprise when uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office approached um, my office. They sent some, a letter saying, we found all these violations. What we did is uh, Deputy City Manager Chamberlain, uh, Mr. McBride from uh, who represents the CCTA, Dorla Bonner, um, and um, one individual whose name escapes me, um, the facilities guy um, at CCTA. Rob Branch, thank you. Uh, we met and we said, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. Uh, we decided to contract with Tower Pinkster to look at what the U.S. Attorney's Office said we were in violation, and they did a thorough review, and in fact, based upon that review, we went back to the U.S. Attorney's Office and said, we don't think these issues uh, really are in violation, and they, they scaled back on some of that. So we went through a, a give and take. We knew it was better to work with U.S. Attorney rather than to fight it. Uh, and again, I don't have any proof, but it is, you know, there's no such thing as a coincidence. The fact that the Amtrak uh, has a lot of stations across the United States and they entered into a settlement agreement with the U.S. Attorney's Office regarding ADA accessibility, and then the U.S. Attorney's Office nationally said, we're going to look at all the stations because Amtrak doesn't own all the stations. So we're going to make sure all of the stations are in compliance. And so um, there were several other stations in uh, Michigan that w went under similar uh, review. Now, I don't know what results were in all of those communities, but uh, we, we got ours. And so like I said, we went into a, I don't want to say negotiation so much, but there was a give and take in terms of we don't think we violated here. And they said, well, what about this? And some things we said, OK, we're, we're, it's not a big deal to, to fight. Uh, and basically, we're looking at some signage. We're looking at making improvements in the restrooms. And then the, the access to the building, this, this, the sidewalks and the, the uh, crosswalks going onto that site uh, are going to be going to be improved. We have three years to make those improvements, uh, so we don't have to do it overnight. Uh, and uh, I think that it is a doable thing uh, to, to get it done, and it'll make the a facility uh, ADA compliant. Thank you, Attorney Robinson. Any other questions for staff at this time? Right. Seeing none, uh, is there anyone in the audience that would like to comment on this item? It's item H1. Please come to the podium, state your name, and whether you live in the city, you'll have three minutes. any ADA compliance. Here we go again with the microphone. It's exactly what I'm talking about. City attorney has a microphone in front of him that he has not used the entire night. Haven't been able to hear a word unless I have it with my headphones in. Not one word. Multiple times I've got to do this. Every single time I come to the meeting I've got to do this. This has not been a one month, two month, three month, four months. It's been multiple years I've complained about this. Most of you have heard me complain about it. I don't want to have to call and do a whole ADA complaint because we can't hear about it. One speaker, one speaker in this room. I know multiple DJs. Esto knows multiple DJs. I'm sure half of you 
know a lot of DJs that could come in here and within six hours had the place hooked up with surround sound and lights. So it shouldn't be that complicated. Let's figure it out for a change. Otherwise, we can have another ADA complaint. Thank you. Any other comments on this item? So seeing no more comments, the recommended action is a motion to authorize the city attorney to sign the settlement agreement. Is there a motion? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Juarez. Support. Supported by Commissioner Pradle. Any further discussion, Commission? Commissioner Pradle. I uh, didn't really get a chance to ask a question about this, but um, as the conversion is going to two-way on Kalamazoo Avenue, um, you know, this also seems like a pretty opportune time with the, you know, that stretch of improvements if there's going to be sidewalk improvements and those sort of things as well. So um, glad to see we're able to come to a settlement agreement. And uh, thank you, uh, City Attorney Robinson, for, for sharing some background on it. Thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Any other discussion? Seeing none, our good Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Decker. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Thank you, commissioners. Item H1 is approved. Manager Ritzma. Item G2 is approval of a professional service agreement with Whiteman and Associates for the design of Kalamazoo Avenue two-way conversion in the amount of $955,035. Thank you very much, Manager Ritzma. I'm presuming you were not planning a presentation, but is there staff here that will be able to answer questions if necessary? Yes, we have our traffic engineer, Anthony Ladd, and our city planner, Christina Anderson. Thank you so much. Commissioners, are there questions on this item? Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you. So in looking at our packet, when I saw G2, my eyes just kind of like bucked because I'm looking and I'm saying it's costing almost a million to do a design and that's just to design it and so i guess my question is this were there multiple bids um that came in uh and this was the most economical well, how how did we end up with this because when i think about all the needs that our community has um this just i was blown away by this almost million dollars for a design good evening mayor vice mayor Commissioners, uh, Anthony Ladd, uh, Public, Public Works Division Manager. Um, when we uh, sent out the request for proposals uh, in January for this project, um, we put a lot of time and effort in developing that request. It was probably the most thorough request that, that we have done to date since I've been here at the city. Um, for a few reasons, uh, one, understanding the scope of this project from a strictly construction standpoint and all of the different um, features that it would entail, but also what this project would mean to the city. Um, because as, as we'll get into, I'm sure, this project entails a lot more than just infrastructure upgrades, which it does, which it needs. Um, but we wanted to make sure that it encompassed the values that we've talked about, that we've heard about from residents and heard about from elected officials over the years, um, building this project was, was years in the making, as we referenced in the memo. Uh, to answer your question directly, um, 
this was sent out to, uh, I think, six different firms that are on our pre-approved consultants list for this work. And uh, we received four responses, uh, packages to review. They were reviewed thoroughly uh, by our team. Uh, two of those consultants were called back for a follow-up to present their proposal to staff, to the team. Um, they were given about an hour each to have uh, presentation and Q&A, and then at that time we selected the uh, consultant who uh, best embodied the spirit of this project and felt that uh, fully understood the scope that would go into it. Thank you. Other other questions, Commissioner Pradle. Yeah, to just uh, kind of take a next step to to your question, Commissioner Hoffman as well. Can you describe what's so unique about the complexity of this particular design project that warrants it to be almost you know a million dollars? Can you can you speak to some of the design elements that are going to make this just amazing and exciting? I mean, this is 50 years in the making here. This is this is 50 plus years in the making that we've been driving this you know two way traffic coming and. Right. Considering you know uh, multi-use of uh, transportation and mobility in, in our our walkways and our roads and all that sort of thing, so can you talk about you know why this is like a game changer, big deal? Sure, absolutely. Um, this project addresses many things. Um, one being the the critical state of the infrastructure itself in in the right of way, from your road to your stormwater your traffic signals, uh, street walk, uh, sidewalk, pedestrian access, uh, as well as your water main on Kalamazoo Avenue. And uh, in order to effectively take a street that's in one way from a traffic standpoint, um, you can't take just sections at a time and have one section one way and one section two way. You have to create an entire corridor, um, which creates a very large, uh, scope of work on Kalamazoo Avenue from Douglas to Harrison. So when you go from two-way or one-way construction to two-way uh, travel, you have to reconfigure a lot of your traffic signals to make sure they're oriented for two-way travel. You are including pedestrian upgrades at each of those intersections in addition to potential mid-block crossings. You are excavating underneath the road to uh, replace stormwater infrastructure that's over 100 years old, uh, particularly downtown, where you have you know, decades and decades of infrastructure that's been built on top of each other. Uh, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a lot to untangle and reconstruct that properly to today's standards, uh, as well as uh, replacing the water main. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Mr. Ladd. Can you, so where would the first, just so the public also knows too, um, you know, once this is done and we're able to see, you know, how Whitman and Associates is going to design this, where would be the first streets that would be affected? And what other streets would be affected that, or that you plan on doing? Sure, so Kalamazoo Avenue, will be the first of the trunk lines that we've since taken over in 2019 that were previous state trunk lines and now uh, belong as part of the city's jurisdiction. Uh, 
Kalamazoo Avenue would be the first one of those. Following Michigan Avenue would be the second immediately following that. Um, the reason for that is because Kalamazoo Avenue and Michigan Avenue currently work in configuration with each other as one-way streets going in opposite directions. So when you change Kalamazoo Avenue to two-way um, traffic, which it will, it will handle a larger capacity than Michigan Avenue does or will, um, next following that will be Michigan Avenue, which will be a similar length of project, but probably more in depth just because you have a wider pavement width and more changes to be made there. Um, as those two go from a one-way travel direction to two-way, you begin to establish more of a traditional city grid where you have drivers are familiar with a city grid network and are able to navigate to their destination knowing that they are two blocks down and two blocks over. They would not have to go one way here and then up another. Okay. Um, so, so what do you think this is going to do when we, so switching to the two-way streets, how do you think that's going to affect the businesses that are there? Do you see businesses being affected? Um, have, I'm assuming that we've talked to them and they're all for this, uh, most of them. Um, and also, how does that correlate to new businesses that may want to build on, say, Michigan Avenue or Kalamazoo and do things like that? Do we have any any thoughts? Are there any you know possible businesses that are going to be that are looking to build in this area? Um, that's yeah, sure. So um, when the master plan was done, we commissioned a market study for downtown Kalamazoo. And it talked about, um, it reviewed, you know, how downtown was currently functioning um, and its potential. And it noted um, several uh, key barriers. Uh, the top two being uh, the one-way street system. And, you know, business owners were interviewed for the study and reported over and over again, you know, the difficulties that their clients would have uh, in accessing their business, you know, concerns about losing customers. Um, and. Uh, uh, other concerns that they had in terms of where employees, how, how everybody moved in downtown. The second item that was the barrier was parking. Mm -hmm. um, over the, the plan is over the next two or three years that we'll be able to start to manage both of those to remove those two first big barriers uh, for achieving um, uh, the full economic potential of downtown Kalamazoo. We have recommissioned a market study um, to have uh, in our hands so we can apply for grants to cover uh, construction and, and work. Um, and it's important to show the economic benefit of that work. And we'll have that, we're having a presentation from the, um, from the uh, market uh, study um, firm tomorrow uh, in-house to hear the results. The draft results are is that it's gonna have a big impact. It's going to um, both impact in terms of dollars that the downtown um, creates for the city as well as um, increased amount of new businesses. And that's just kind of like the cliff notes we got from him. Um, and we're gonna get the full presentation tomorrow and as soon as we have the final document, we will certainly be releasing that um, to, uh, for everyone to review. So we know that um, it's not, you know, the economic benefit, <coughs> other cities have seen economic benefits for two-way street conversion. Um, and so, you know, having the 2017 study plus now a repeat in 2022 um, kind of shows how this will have a positive impact on, on businesses in and around downtown. 
because as Anthony mentioned, a lot of this work is kind of repairing a grid, so it's not just the downtown that gets the benefit, it's uh, the neighborhoods surrounding it. Um, we know that any construction project has a short-term impact, and you can look around the city right now, there's lots of projects going on, um, there's no shortage of, um, uh, you know, uh, grumbles and comments, and, and that's, you know, construction has an impact, a short-term impact, it, it, it just does. But we know that, and we have a couple of years to plan. This project is a two-year design um, to kind of align with some federal funding that uh, will be available uh, for construction purposes. Um, and we have a lot of time to make sure that we have the right plan in place uh, to provide communication for the businesses, the right set of marketing. You know, how, this is a project on a scale that we have not done presumably since we converted them to one way. And there was a really lovely trifold pamphlet that showed you how to, how to move through the, through the one-way streets that they put out. You know, parking, ramp, uh, detours, updates, uh, all of that is gonna have to happen. And we know that, and we're starting to make those plans now, knowing that there's always that short-term you know, difficulty. Um, we do believe that in the long run, you know, the benefits uh, will be there for the community. Okay. Um, so you say you know you're going to talk about the parking. Um, do you think this is going to eliminate parking, or is it going to bring more parking? No. Uh, the goal is not to eliminate parking. Um, we want to make sure that our street park, our on-street parking, is working in um, cohesion with our ramps in terms of pricing and availability. Uh, uh, Downtown Kalamazoo Partnership a couple years ago commissioned a parking study. Um, at which we, um, the city has um, now has, a co has the ability now to put that plan into action. And it talked about adding spaces, it talked about uh, wherever we could, looking at driveways that are no longer being used, does it make sense to close them? Um, you know, where can we look at parking availability? And then again, looking at pricing, uh, consistent metering, which, you know, if you look downtown, there's meters all over the place. And, some are this rate and some of the other rate, and then streets you think would have meters don't have meters. So coming up with a very consistent system um, and then um, tying that to the ramp and how the pricing, you know, if, if the meters are this, is the ramp at this for, you know, two hours free or vice versa, like how do you work all those things together? And so this is, you know, part of a larger effort um, to improve mobility in downtown um, for everyone, both those are traveling by vehicle, but even when you travel by vehicle to the downtown at some point, mm -hmm. you know, we'd like you to stop, right? We'd like our restaurants and our businesses want you to stop. And then at that point, you become a pedestrian, right? And so making sure that we are um, making our improvements accordingly. Um, and, you know, this work is, we're talking about downtown, and the contract is downtown, but I, I'll say that this is work that's happening um, in other locations throughout the city, uh, looking at increasing sidewalk width and commercial corridors, making sure uh, our crosswalks um, are clearly marked and adding more where we can, where we can um, traffic calming measures. This is kind of all emblematic of work that's being done throughout the city um, and has been for the last couple of years. Thank you, Planner Anderson. Manager Ritzma. Yeah, I would just add, um, so this has been going on for quite a while, this uh, topic. And one of the things that, or there's a couple things I think that are important that uh, commission should know about one is traffic speeds through downtown you know we've got to slow this traffic down on Michigan Kalamazoo Westridge 
and Park, Lovell, and South Street. So traffic calming is a big piece of this. Um, please also uh, talk about what's gonna be planned for Westnage and Park, especially on the north side relative to making it more of a neighborhood street again versus a thoroughfare. Certainly, um, thank you for bringing that up, um, uh, City Manager Ritzma. This project that's before you tonight, or the, the, the design, is actually the third project uh, in this downtown uh, network update, right, that we did the big engagement on, most recent large engagement on, since we've been talking about it for about 50 years, uh, in 2019 and 2020. And so the, uh, there are two projects that one has been started, and uh, well, both have been started at this point, Stadium Drive, quickly that work between um, uh, Howard and up to the stadium, that first leg where there's going to be a multi-use path on the north side, so we have the opportunity for pedestrian and cycle movements, um, landscape median in the middle, that came from that same project. The second project is an iterative one, and that meaning a small, we, we, is Kalamazoo and, excuse me, Park and Westnage. Uh, Park and Westnage, from all the studies that were done, um, we have learned that it will be, it cannot go two-way in this first package. When the studies were done by the engineers, there were definitely some breakdowns in the system, um, and because of the length of those streets, they are very complicated, right? You know, West uh, Michigan, Kalamazoo, South and Lovell are relatively small compared to West Nedgen Park, which run the length of the city. So, does that mean we can't try to meet the vision that the community put forth for us, which was slower streets and uh, safe spaces for everyone. Um, just because we can't do real or permanent construction right now, we chose to do take other steps to make immediate impacts. And so the things that we have done um, include, we did um, a pretty big engagement process last summer with Vine, Northside, uh, and downtown residents to talk about traffic homing on West Nedgen Park. We had residents locate where the ideal crossing locations are so we could improve the crossings, both with signage, um, in some cases flashers, and, and um, uh, better crosswalk painting, um, new sidewalk in many locations where we found that was where gaps were found in those areas. Um, and that's part one. Um, and a lot of that work was done on the north side in the fall. What has not yet been done uh, in the north side, and nothing yet has been started in Vine, but it will all be done this summer, is um, striping a um, West Central Park where Michigan Department of Transportation streets, and they were treated as such, right? So very wide lanes, feels very comfortable. My son is in driver's training right now, and he went out on West Nedge, and he said, oh my gosh, I was going the speed limit, and a few minutes later I was going 45, I didn't even realize it. It didn't feel, I felt like I was going okay until my instructor kind of, you know, nudged me. It's because those, those travel lanes are really wide. They're like highway wide. And so by um, adjusting the paint and redoing the lanes, one, um, we can help make them feel more narrow, like city streets, and help reduce some of the speeds that way. So that's part one of that project. Part two is uh, that on-street parking is spotty along uh, those streets, in the, both the north side as well as Vine. And so in places where we can, we're gonna add additional on-street parking. Uh, on West Nedgen Park, and then third, we are adding a bike lane. And so between these two things, we are covering um, uh, methods that are, uh, have been shown in Kalamazoo and elsewhere uh, to reduce speeds, um, adding pedestrian safety elements, 
um, and adding space for cyclists. Um, so it's an opportunity to do something now on a street um, where permanent construction may take a little while. Um, and so that, that is that project. So Kalamazoo is actually the third to come from that um, network update project. Commissioner Juarez. Um, is keeping semis out of downtown going to be part of this design? I'm sorry, could you repeat that question? Keeping semis from traveling through downtown, is that going to be part of this design? I would not say that inherently keeping commercial vehicles off of, the, off of downtown is, you know, a, a stated goal. I think one of the things that, that what we've tried to do uh, through these projects or any projects when we're looking at a city network is to establish corridors that are uh, more beneficial to commercial vehicles, those wider turning movements, the wider lanes, and encouraging them to take those routes and have those conversations with businesses as those projects are, are happening and being designed. Uh, one of the things that one of the tools that we have available as this street network gets introduced and um, established and built is utilizing our traffic signals throughout the city. We have uh, somewhere over 130 different signalized traffic intersections in the city alone uh, and relying on uh, traffic detection and smart systems that can be implemented through those corridors. Uh, we can actually, you know, encourage commercial vehicles to create a commercial corridors that are more beneficial uh, certain times of day, certain routes, things like that. And, and that's something that, that we intend to have those conversations to understand those commercial routes. Commissioner, I will also add to that. Um, we know that there's a desire to improve the interchange at 131. Um, and with the interchange, there will also have to be a consideration of the business loop and how that turning movement happens on West Nudge to the north um, to get up to Mazel, uh, where there is quite a bit of industry um, in, to the north of the city of Kalamazoo. And so there are also, there are other factors at work um, that are gonna be happening uh, that may impact um, truck traffic as it goes through you know, downtown Kalamazoo. Thank you, Planet Anderson. Uh, Director Baker, did you have some comments? Yes, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, you know, I just wanted to thank Planner Anderson and Engineer Ladd for going into some, you know, very detailed components of, of this design and um, really the work we're proposing to do. Um, I did want to uh, specifically acknowledge the, the comments brought up by Commissioner Hoffman and take a step back for a moment. Um, there, there could be some context and uh, perspective that, that wasn't stated that could be helpful. Um, one, of that, uh, one of those items is just the sheer scope of the construction work we're planning to do. Um, we've put some preliminary engineer estimates to it, but we really haven't gone further into the development of what those engineer estimates would be to complete the entire construction of what we're proposing. So we offered the design engineering, which is nearly a million dollars, but we have not told you what we expect this total cost to be. At this point, we expect this to be around $30 million of very preliminary pre-COVID-19 engineer estimates. And a lot of that uh, expense is due to uh, really this full depth construction. So we're going into storm sewer, we're going into uh, the water main as engineer lad talked about, signals and uh, sidewalks and everything all throughout downtown. And so when you look at design engineering, oftentimes design engineering is approximately 10% of total construction. 
that would put us at three million. So one million is uh, really, you know, essentially a very economical um, starting point for, for this. Um, and it is, in, it, in our opinion, in line with the total scope of everything uh, that we're planning to do. I also wanted to provide a little bit, um, some background information, and this work really takes us back all the way to 2013 and before when we partnered with MDOT um, to um, embark upon a planning and environmental linkage study, the Pell study, which ultimately led to a lot of planning um, downtown and a lot of work to try to calm our traffic in city of Kalamazoo. That planning and environmental linkage study ultimately led to the city's jurisdictional transfer. And this is where through help of <clears throat> then State Senator Margaret O'Brien and then State Rep uh, uh, Holdley, we were able to come together with MDOT through a partnership and have City Kalamazoo take control back over those roadways. None of this would be, this would not be possible. We would not be standing in front of you today without that transfer from, from MDOT. Um, this street, uh, Commissioner Juarez's comment, uh, these streets operated as M43, that's a state trunk line, and they were signed as such and, and designed and operated that way. So the first step of us taking local control was to um, commit that jurisdictional transfer. Um, that kind of started everything in place. And you know, I said earlier that Kalamazoo, we're right, we're right in the middle of a success story. We've got a lot of work to do to end and, and complete this success story. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Director Baker, for that additional context. That makes sense to me when you, I talk about, when I hear 30 million, okay, now that makes me feel a little bit better, a little bit, um, because I'm still learning, right? And I also wanna take this opportunity to inform our community of what's going on and not just say, oh, I saw a million dollars on there for a design. What does that mean, right? So there's intention behind when I ask a question, you all already know I don't really talk a lot unless I have something really important to myself to say. So thank you, thank you for this. It, that makes me feel a lot more confident in, in what's going on, knowing that. And I also feel that we are setting the city up for something really, really huge. Like there's a big boom that's gonna happen in the next few years and, and that has not been disclosed to us yet. I just feel like something, there's something huge coming uh, with all this world work happening. So um, I just wanted to put that out there. Any other questions for staff? Yeah, Vice Mayor Cooney. Well, uh you know, this is very exciting. It sounds wonderful. And, and I'm really impressed with all the thoughtfulness that has gone into this. But we heard earlier tonight about the north side and, and people living in low-income, we know in low-income communities that lack basic kind of stuff. And there's so much thought going into this. I would like to see a lot more thought going into how we could make these low-income communities places where people could thrive and where we don't have a census tract where people are living 14 years less than people in other census tracts in this county. So, and, and I know this is gonna cost a lot of money, but I'm told that we can get grants and we'll be able to do that, that's great. I don't wanna see money diverted from the neighborhoods that really need it the most to go into this project. And when I hear there's gonna be a lot of money made, I wanna know for whom. I just want to put those thoughts out. Other questions, comments on this item? Commissioner Prado. 
I think one of the things that has got me particularly really excited about envisioning this whole network coming to life in our downtown is when you think about the imagined Kalamazoo plan in an in interconnected city. And for so long, uh, the way our system has been built, it almost creates like this island of opportunity in our urban core in, in downtown Kalamazoo. And uh, I think the exciting thing is, is that, you know, those roads were built for these, you know, tank vehicles, you know, barreling down the road. This plan is meant to build a city for people and, you know, mobility and interconnectedness, bridging the gap between, you know, West Michigan Avenue and Kalamazoo Avenue and not making it so that neighborhoods feel like people are just driving through their neighborhood, you know? Now all of a sudden, no, you're not just driving through and treating me like I'm an afterthought. You know, we're coming both ways through our, my neighborhood now. So there's economic opportunity that comes to our outside neighborhoods. Mm. And, you know, it makes it so people feel like downtown can be a place for everybody in those interconnected neighborhoods as well. That's powerful. And I, I keep, keep thinking, like, I, I hope I can make it long enough to see some of this come to, together because this is one of the things that gets me most excited about the work that we're doing, but it's also one of the hardest. And, you know, the thing that just boggles my mind is you look at all these construction projects going on right now and the, and the team that's making these, like, unprecedented number of projects going on simultaneously and everything and still trying to figure out a way to, like, make all this, you know, design work happens so that we can still keep making progress with with the two-way traffic but it's it's coming and it, it's it's exciting and uh, i can't wait to see it because you know when you think about like pl places like downtown minneapolis and you know just all these cool cities that are just doing all, all this innovative and making sure that people can get around in the green bike lanes and trees in the center islands and all those kind of things like this is this is finally making it possible some of those things possible i mean it takes it takes kalamazoo to the next level uh, and that's exciting. That's exciting to be a part of that. So thank, I share that. Thank you, Commissioner Pradel. Other, other comments? One last. Oh, I'll just um, really Commissioner quickly. Commissioner yeah. Really quickly, I, I I believe in one of Bobby Hobel's last State of the City addresses. Uh, he said, "Downtown, we have to we have to go two way with these streets. Like, what other thriving downtown has a five lane highway cutting through its heart?" And so um, I've, I've shared your excitement about this two-lane traffic on those major highways, and I really appreciate that, and I appreciate your work on, on behalf of all of that. So thank you. And just Commissioner Warris. One last comment. Um, I know sometimes it feels daunting to be standing before the dais and explaining the hard work that you've been doing, and we as commissioners get to look at it and ask the questions and what I want city staff to know is that we're very thankful of you guys you guys are hard workers you guys are you know some of the best and we we really appreciate the effort that you guys do put into this stuff um, and for us to ask questions is not to put anybody on the spot it's just to raise awareness right the more we know, the more we understand. Self-awareness is the most powerful thing you could have. And as a city, when we can be aware of what's happening, it's beneficial. So I commend you guys for the work that you do because uh, sometimes it's thankless and sometimes it's you know your passion that drives you, your why. 
and why you show up every day. And so we recognize that as a commission and we, we want to honor that also um, in, in, on both sides of the coins is community city staff, right? And so we have to have the balancing act of saying, how do we make sure our city, city staff is doing what they're supposed to be doing and trusting the work they're doing and believing that, right? And saying, all right, uh, okay. And take care of the people of the city. So we thank you guys so much. Anyone else? So, so one thing this is, uh, illuminates for me, who's had the luxury to be around for a little while, is a couple structural problems. Uh, one of those structural problems is just, I think, time drives both of them. So on, on one side, you, as a city, plan and create a master plan, which has a time frame related to it. And you collect community input on that plan. And we have not had a more robust community input session than what's put IK2025 together. Very robust. A lot of things come together in that planning. Things are asked for, generally speaking, in those kinds of plans. And those get codified in our plans. And that isn't a plan that just is made tonight and then executed in August, and then we're done, and then we're thinking about it next time. Oftentimes, those are plans that are executed years ago with possibly entirely different commissions and maybe different staff, and you execute those plans, and then what happens? Staff spend time working on that master plan and, and trying to take those steps to do that. While people sitting in these seats may change, and while other community thoughts may change at the same time. So there's that. Then the other piece of it is that just the sheer time related to any big project, infrastructure. For example, changing streets is huge. And how does that happen? You don't think one day, gosh, it'd be really nice to change the street two-way. Uh, then a month later, it's like, oh, there's a grant. Let's get it. Uh, okay, and then the next month you're out there, you know, changing the stoplights and putting in different crosswalks. The whole process is also very time consuming in that if you got a plan, you have a North Star, which was created by community input, then the steps of completing that for our everyday working team are, okay, what's step one on this plan? Let's spend a lot of time thinking about that. Let's keep checking that with the community as we're doing it. Well, step one is making a plan. That's what we're talking about. It's just that, that engineering design piece, which is just then sets the table for the next step and the next step. So we've got this interesting kind of a structural situation where uh, you know, we, we, the community kind of talked about wanting something, which was a more pedestrian-friendly downtown, a, a place-making, a place where people get together and, and feel safe that's not bisected by, by, by traffic, like barriers. And to execute on that plan, one of those very large steps was taking control from MDOT for all these streets that bisected Kalamazoo Park and Westage and Kalamazoo and Stadium Drive and Michigan that were all MDOT streets that we had no input in on whatsoever. So that, that was huge goal 
to execute on this community plan, which we had talked about as a community, very intense conversation about that. And we have that control, and then we have some other steps coming in front of us here. So things can change, and some things won't change. So the question is, how do we kind of pass that baton of planning on and keep ourselves aware of that heading towards a project that might occur when none of us are up here anymore? Who knows what the time frame by the time we get to the end of all this. So that, that is a structural challenge for us of trying to figure out how to be consistent, how to be, you know, uh, forward thinking, how to, how to really think long term, and then also how to be responsive in the immediate, in the moment. And, and that's not, you know, perfect work to do. So here we are now in, in the grand scheme making, you know, one investment in one piece of this, and how can all of us feel the context of that and feel like we're honoring the context of that maybe not having been part of a variety of decisions that, that led up to this. So here we are now, we have an action to take tonight relative to that longer context. And I don't, I don't know if it's helpful for us to talk about it. I mean, more to feel comfortable to vote on this tonight or any other questions just specific to this or do we feel like we've had our questions answered? Mr. Decker. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Yes, um, I just asked questions because kind of as you just stated, you know, city staff changes, commissioners change, and for new commissioners coming in and not knowing what has been in the works, what has been planned, what has been put in place, or trying to work through before the new commissioners are here, yeah. um, that's why we ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, that's why well, I ask questions. Yeah, I've got no problem I don't know what has been talked about or is in the plans or certain departments are working on before I got here. Yeah. You know, I get a packet that's a thousand pages saying let's approve this. I'm like, well, I need to know before I approve anything. Um, so I think that, you know, really having the discussion puts me at ease, puts, I believe, some of my fellow commissioners at ease, puts the community at ease, um, and also I, I, I appreciate everything you guys do. You guys are doing a great job. You've been working here for longer than I have been working here. So I appreciate that. Um, and I ask questions because I don't understand and I want to know. So I'm, I'm asking the questions of the experts. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get, you know, the questions before, but, you know, or before, you know, we come to the dais, but, you know, there is a lot and I definitely do feel that being able to have information given to us regarding projects that are in the works before new commissioners come in, we're able to have that knowledge. And we're also able to educate the community on things that if they're just moving here, they don't know what's going in the works. And all of a sudden, we're spending a million dollars on, you know, figuring out how to do a road. You know, I'm just trying to make sure that they're informed too. So, you know, if they want to come in here and have a conversation and, and come and do a public comment that they know, hey, they're going to hear me and they're going to possibly be asking the same questions that I would answer or that I would ask. Um, so, again, kind of how you said, uh, Mayor, just, you know, letting, letting new coming commission or just 
letting Newcomb Commission definitely know what is in the works, I think is really um, what I'm kind of hearing here with us asking questions about certain things that we don't know what's coming down. So if we don't know what's coming down, it's questions are gonna be asked. Sure. And we appreciate and the staff tremendously. It's, you guys are doing an awesome job. It's just knowledge, you know, educating us. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I 100% support what you had to say. And I think it's just how we negotiated and worked our way through these changes. It's our task to do together. Manager Risma. Yeah, I appreciate the comments and the discussion. And I think what we need to do is everything that we do and bring forward is tied to a plan somewhere. There's a whole thing with Imagine Kalamazoo that starts with the vision and then the master plan. And eventually we have five-year plans for capital improvement, for parks and rec, you know, and so we need to bring forward where is this action grounded in and, um, and making sure that it's the context and everything is clear for this new commission because I appreciate you all coming in and a lot of these things were discussed, you know, a year, two, three years ago. So, um, and, and so we just, like the mayor said, you know, try to figure out how to bring these things forward so that you're comfortable uh, making your decisions. Yeah, new commission and old commission. All right, so, commissioners, the requested action is a motion to approve uh, what was item uh, G2, maybe is now H3, the professional service agreement with Whiteman and Associates. Is there a motion? So move. That was a race. Commissioner Juarez, supported by Commissioner Hoffman? Yes, support. Any other discussion? Oops, so let me see. I guess we, uh, did I roll right past that? Um, now is the opportunity for anyone in the audience to comment on this item. Please come up to the podium. You'll have three minutes. State your name, whether you live in the city. Thank you. Steve Glista, city resident, West Nets Hill. Uh, I stayed to say that I support this project, so that I support this project. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Seeing no one else, Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Uh, yes. Thirty-one oh seven, Barbara Link, Kalamazoo. <clears throat> Excuse me, Alex kind of specific question in regards to something I thought I heard discussed about uh, Church Street, I mean uh, Park Street. Is there a plan because of the new construction on the north side with the plant, is there a plan to redirect 31 traffic to that area <clears throat> first? Hi, Mr. Earhart, how are you doing? So if there's some, do you have uh, several specific questions? Well, let me say this. <clears throat> uh, 20 years ago almost now, I was involved uh, with some plans for an industrial park on the north side. Uh, where the plan is now, uh, graphic uh, uh, is on that. There was serious, uh, 
undersurface problems with uh, uh, the area and toxic uh, waste and so forth, which was expensive. And then there came up uh, uh, a discussion about Northside employment and Northside businesses. And one of the things that happened was because there was not a junction uh, to that area um, from uh, I-94, I mean from uh, 131, that it wasn't, it wasn't uh, possible. Um, as a consequence, what we had was uh, the western um, uh, area right off of uh, 94, I guess it is, uh, that became the industrial park because there was. Adjacent to that, um, there was a KPCC facility that was right off of the highway. So my first question is, is there now a plan to bring, to divert transportation or, or a route from the, the uh, new site to 131? Got 30 seconds. Another question? Uh, well, the other is in regards to the site itself. I was reading the paper today and it was talked about, and I saw tonight, they talk about the uh, TIF uh, on the north side. And the housing that's been built doesn't make sense if the discussion was talking about, um, one, doing housing, but two, uh, the other things that are going on in north side in terms of I appreciate that. So I will, uh, we'll stick around afterwards and talk with some specifics, Mr. Hart, if that's okay. Okay. Any other comments on this particular item? Seeing none, Clerk Borling, will you please call the roll? Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Decker. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Uh, thank you very much, Commission. That uh, that motion is approved. Manager Ritzma. Item G5 is adoption of a resolution recommending approval of an application from Factory Coffee for a development district liquor license located at 205 West Lovell Street within the city's existing downtown development district. Thank you, Manager Isma. Are there questions for manager or his team? Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so yes, this is in reference to G5, the 
development of the liquor license for the factory coffee located at 205 West Lovell. Um, I just have a few questions um, regarding this. Um, I guess one of the ones that I have is what are the restrictions when it talks about it being close to a church? Is there a certain footage where an establishment that sells liquor needs to be? Like is it 500 feet, 1,000 feet? Your commissioners. Um, what you're talking about is the, the legal distance, mm -hmm. um, and the churches are not listed in the legal distance. It's parks and schools. Okay. Uh, churches can contest um, the distance uh, with the liquor license board, uh, but that's something they have to take up with the liquor license board. It's taken into consideration, but it's not a requirement. Okay. Um, so is there a limit of how many business licenses we get a year to give out it can we just do as many as we want or yes what you're talking about in regular liquor licenses there's so many licenses that are out in the community in the case of this redevelopment liquor license it's a special um, designated liquor license for uh, special districts which the downtown um, development authority is a district and so um, it is used as economic development tool which reduces the amount of quote-unquote the cost of a liquor license. Um, a regular liquor license can cost between 75000 100000 depending on where um, you're trying to, um, let's say, acquire that for and what for. Mm -hmm. In the case of this liquor license, it's, it's specifically for a restaurant. Um, it's not for like a store or anything. It's for uh, restaurant restaurant development and um, incentive. Um, and so you can pay twenty to 25000 for this type of liquor license. The other key component to this liquor license is that it does not travel. So it's specifically made for that location only. Um, so it can be moved around in the city, um, other places is only for that specific location. Okay, so you know, in order to have that license, it's a cost of $25,000, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, is it, I guess, I might have read it incorrectly, is it 25,000 or is it 20,000? It can, it, right at this point, it's around 20000 but it has been in the past 25000 it, it varies depending on the, as they say, um, liquor board and the responsibilities of the jurisdiction. Okay. Um, so is this the first, so it looks like we're looking to, you know, adopt some changes. Is this the first time we've had a business come and request this or no? No. No, we have a number of businesses downtown that have, um, that have think taken of, advantage of this? Yes. And this, like I said, it's a tool that we try to promote uh, for specifically restaurants that are trying to locate into the downtown area to take advantage of this opportunity. Food dance of when, when they were, they had took advantage of this also, this liquor license. Okay. Now I apologize, I don't know what it's called. Is it called the Social Drinking District or what is that where you can walk? Are they part of, is that? Yeah, that's. Because they're across the street, so they would not be part of that correct no that the social distance is pretty much pretty much what was approved by the commission on where you can drink um, openly in a certain area and have a specific um, name on a cup um, that you can transport quote-unquote those um, quote-unquote liquor components in that social district area okay. and that and has, they are not in the social district area correct they're in a different area, the social district area, area that you designated already, uh, which was downtown. I did not know that off the top of my head. Okay. I'm sorry to say. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, 
Okay, those are all the questions that I have um, that I believe, if not, I'll, I'll circle back. Thank you. No problem. Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you. Um, and, and so this is a question that you may not know, Director um, Mitchell, but my question was, has any outreach been done by the business to the church? Um, and, and I wish that individual were present. Um, so that was one question. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, first off, thanks so much for such a long night. Uh, <laughs> you guys have a great stamina. Um, yeah, we have got letters of support from First Presbyterian and St. Luke's. Um, so we're basically pre-approved once we get approval from you and then go up to the state. Um, and then also, I believe we are in the social... Uh, district for drinking, you know, that, I forget what it's called, but, but that as well. Do you so kind of introduce yourself? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Dan Kastner, I own uh, Factory Coffee. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mr. Kastner. My next question is, um, I happen to go to Factory Coffee on Frank from oh, time yeah. to time. Yeah. And when I saw that there was a new location um, coming on board downtown, my question is, how will you continue to reinvest uh, in the north side? Uh, well, we have been a building a, a property owner in the north side for over a decade. Um, that's where our heart is. That's where our brand is. That's where we're reinvesting. We're um, investing heavily in our roastery operations. Um, we're trying to create just a bunch of jobs, um, yeah, uh, right there on Frank Street. So. Once we're done and open downtown, our next plan is to um, bring, we have an attached building to Factory Coffee that was originally a Polish church that we're going to bring up to be an event space that we hopefully will be heavily used by our neighbors. So, so is the intent then that Frank will close down in a sense no. of not? It will not still remain yeah, coffee very, shop? Yeah, very active. Uh, we, it, uh, we really see ourselves as a big part of the neighborhood and, you know, a positive uh, spot for our neighbors. So, no, we have no plans of reducing at all or slowing down there. Okay, thank you. Other questions? Commissioners? Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Dan, for being here. Um, so, kind of going off of what Commissioner Hoffman said, um, you plan on making, or and what you said too, you plan on making that an event center place? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's basically, it's not a very big spot, but it's basically, if you imagine, a big one-room church. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to bring it up to code. Uh, we're going to move our roasting out to one end of it, but then have it just be like, you know, it's basically a hall that people can rent, or um, we currently let people use factory coffee if it's if it's a nonprofit or a community, we, it's no charge. Uh, for events, um, we have outside outdoor seating too, so we people utilize that. And um, um, upstairs is pretty much an open floor that we also uh, open up to nonprofits and and groups that, if if they're not making money off the use of the space per se, then we we typically don't charge. Okay, um, and if I'm re correct, and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. The one on Frank Street is not in the DDA district, correct? We're not, no. Yeah, okay. No. no um, 
So with that being said, do you think that you would ever apply or will you apply for a liquor license at that facility or will it just be at this one here? Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I guess it depends on, you know, how, how the hall is utilized. Like I could see where, and we've talked about it, you know, whether or not we would, um, uh, if, if it's like utilized for weddings or stuff like that, uh, that'd be nice to have. And then also right to the north of us is the, um, uh, the Gibson guitar factory and we'll end up being in the same parking lot as them. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's a possibility. I won't say no, but but it's not our focus right now. Um, so I, I was doing some driving around today, just kind of looking at different properties that we had that were on our agenda today. Um, and I see that you guys are still in the process of putting everything together. When do you think that's going to be open? Or do you oh, think man. in a month, six months, a year? Uh, you know, it has been a long journey. Uh, COVID has been pretty challenging for schedules and like uh, equipment and all that. Um, so we're we're right now hopefully mid June, end of June, somewhere in there. That's our optimistic uh, opening date. Okay. And if I if I saw correctly in your license too, that this is not just going to be a coffee shop. It's going to be a restaurant. Is that correct? Yeah, we're uh, basically describing it as more like a European-style uh, cafe, so the focus is coffee, like that's the core business, um, but we're also going to have a you know, pretty limited but tight like cocktail menu and, and beer and wine, so in the evening, like you can get a coffee or, you know, uh, some sort of spirit, and then um, uh, in the morning, uh, we're going to have bagels and like breakfast sandwiches specifically, and then brunches on the weekend. Um, and then around five or six at night shift into like kind of more of a evening um, vibe. So I guess I guess I need to verify what the classification of a restaurant is. Um, because you say it's going to be more, you're focusing more on coffee, correct? Well, yeah, but we, we do have, we will have a full kitchen and we'll be baking uh, scratch bagels and making sandwiches and then um, uh, we'll have entrees and appetizers at night. Okay. But That's I, what the I guess, vibe was, I, right? <laughs> I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, our focus is we're a coffee company, but, you know, this is kind of a new uh, thing for us. Um, but, but, yeah, food is definitely part of the program. So you're in the fourth, in the 400 Rose Building, correct? Yes, where correct. you're at. Um, so this wasn't a new construction for you, correct? The building was already there. You're just coming in and doing the construction on the inside of the building, correct? Uh, yeah, the uh, our the, the building is fairly new, and so there's no existing construction in the corner that we're taking in. So everything's from scratch in there. So like there, you know, the plumbing, the electrical, all that stuff. So do you have a lease there, or is this how, uh, how long we is do, your lease? We do have a lease, yeah. How long is your lease? Ten years. Ten years, okay. How much do you think you've put into this so far? Um, I mean, that, that's hard. Uh, it's hard to quantify. I mean, we have a lot of investment in it. 500? No, no. I mean, um, altogether, the projects around there, I think, um, but 
So 500,000 going into you doing your build out of that particular space about, or? Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair estimate, yeah. All, all, all in the, the whole project. And you say you run the, your main corporate offices is at the 213 East Frank Street, correct? That is correct, yeah. So in 213 East Frank Street is, okay, so. <laughs> All right. I guess I do, uh, this may be for Director, um, I don't know, so for the liquor license, do you have to get your liquor license under the address where it's going to be or, or what? Yes. Okay, because I look at this and I say that it's, and, it, and, and again, this is the education part, so educate mm -hmm. me. Um, within the resolution, that we have before us, um, it has 213 East Frank Street on here. That is, that's, head, a, that's, the best the, that's where they're applying for. Okay. And they're gonna be, the liquor license be located at this address. At right the there. 205, and does that, is, did I miss that somewhere stated in the paperwork, or did I not? I guess that doesn't, the address of where the liquor license is actually doesn't be, is actually going to be, does not need to be within this paperwork. Is that what I'm hearing? It should be in there that the applicant's address, company address, is the north side, but where they're applying for the liquor license will be the, gotcha. the street. Here. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate the answers. Thank you, guys. No problem. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Other questions? Thank you, sir. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Now is the opportunity for anyone in the audience to comment on this request. Is there anyone who would like to uh, provide some public comments? Seeing none, the requested action is a motion to approve. This would be item uh, G5 and authorize the city manager to sign all related documents on behalf of the city. Is there a motion? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Pradle. Support. Supported by Commissioner Hess. Any further discussion? Yeah. Commissioner Pradle. Yeah, I was just gonna make a quick point. Uh, Dan, I appreciate you being here. You know, you are, uh, I recognize in, in a city our size, it is not easy to be uh, an entrepreneur and a mover and shaker trying to innovate and create uh, neat spaces that make this a cool city. And you continue to do it. You know, uh, Frank Street, uh, PFs, uh, People's Food Co-op, and now on Rose Street, and I'm, I'm excited to see that location come into line. Um, if any of you know the Kastner name, uh, there's uh, uh, Dan's partner, uh, Emmy, uh, is uh, author of the Nerdy Babies series. If you've not seen these, I have three small children, but they're pretty cool. And I mean, they're in like the Smithsonian gift shop, all right? So again, taking Kalamazoo to like the next level of cool. Um, and I believe you both were pretty instrumental to, to founding um, Read Write Kalamazoo as well. So um, 
the Kastner family has been working hard uh, for a long time to do really <coughs> cool, cool, innovative things in the community. So I appreciate your drive and your spirit to make all those things happen. So, thank you, Commissioner Pradle. Any other discussion? Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Commissioner Pradle, yes. Vice Mayor Cooney, yes. Mayor Anderson, yes. Commissioner Decker, yes. Commissioner Hess, yes. Commissioner Hoffman, yes. And Commissioner Juarez. Thank you, Commissioners. This item is approved. Manager Ritzma. Uh, no report, Your Honor. <coughs> we are now down. Do we have G8 next? Mm -mm. No? There were only two items pulled off. Just two. Okay. For some reason, I circled G8. Point of information. Somebody did request to have eight. Someone did request. The audience requested. He asked to know more about it. He didn't request to put it on the regular agenda. He, did, he, he didn't make the comment about putting it on the regular agenda. But nonetheless. Okay. So oh, we didn't vote on it in the consent agenda. We did not agenda. vote on so it because I did not list it in the there items on the it. consent agenda. You got it. Okay. You want me to read it? Yes, please. Authorization for city manager to execute an access agreement with Bronson Methodist Hospital for the property at 1107 South Burdick Street. Thank you, Manager Ritzma. Any questions for staff on that? Any comments from the audience on that? May I have a motion? So move. Motion made Second. by. No long list of questions on this one? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Clerk Borling, please call the roll. Vice Mayor Cooney. Yes. Mayor Anderson. Yes. Commissioner Decker. Yes. Commissioner Hess. Yes. Commissioner Hoffman. Yes. Commissioner Juarez. Yes. Commissioner Pradle. Yes. Thank you, commissioners. This item is approved. Now, we are at the time on our agenda for commissioner comments. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I wasn't quite ready. Uh, I just want to say that I appreciate everything that the city staff does. And again, it's not, I don't ask questions I ask questions to be informed and I ask questions to be educated and also to educate the city and the community. Um, I did want to bring to light, I got to find it here just a minute. Uh, I may have to have the mayor come back to me on this one because I wanted to speak on um, rentals. Um, and guidance and information for renters and landlords. Um, someone asked that you skip me and okay. come on back when I find this email. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Commissioner Juarez. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm just grateful to be here amongst brilliant minds um, and individuals who ask questions, right? Um, and so I just appreciate that the work that is being done again it's it's awesome it's great to be part of um, I like being here at this time of hour it's, it doesn't bother me too much so and I I enjoy the dialogue back and forth and I know I can be passionate 
and sometimes my passion has a tone, right? And I forgive me for that. Um, but I I truly respect each and one each and every one of my colleagues and the community, right? And so I just I think that makes a great community when we can respect one another, right? And so I just I just wanted to lift that up. Thank you very much. Commissioner Pradle. Sure. Thank you, Mayor. Um, when sometimes when I need some mindless laughter, I'll probably partake in it tonight. Uh, I watch a show called Parks and Rec. And there's this uh, <laughs> there's this uh, like go local government nerd character. Her name is Leslie Nope. And one of her more famous quotes from the show is that when people yell at me, I hear people caring loudly. And uh, I, uh, I always just keep that mind frame. I just I, sometimes if you see me kind of chuckle, I'm probably thinking of that quote. But um, when I think of the people who are on city staff, and you know they they all seem to be like Leslie Nope type people. You know I see Director Baker back there, or uh, uh, Antonio Mitchell. You know these people I really genuinely believe think that they hear people caring loudly. Um, you know you can tell that they love their job and they know that this is just part of the process. Um, and you know sometimes it feels like you take a step back, you know ten steps back and one step forward, but regardless you always know you're making progress for the people and trying to make this community a better place and that's all all what it's about you know and um, so I hope keep your spirits up don't let us beat you up too much uh, but know that uh, for us I think it's also coming from a place of caring loudly so uh, I was gonna mention as well um, just wanted to keep James Pitts and his family in our thoughts and prayers um, James is a planning commissioner uh, I don't want to go into too many details because I'm not sure, uh, but I but I know um, I wish him a speedy recovery, um, and uh, the heaviness of that as well. Uh, I also wanted to just take a moment. Um, hopefully, if people kind of followed me in the two and a half years that I've done this work, uh, I'm not afraid of uh, self-deprecation, uh, getting on us, uh, getting on city staff about things when I feel things are wrong. I do believe that there are moments when, uh, as a, a leader, sometimes we need to call it the public as well. Uh, when they're out of line, uh, when the public has done something wrong. Uh, it came to my attention that there was a really thought hard about how to bring this up in a way that's productive. There was a uh, officer recently who uh, was having lunch with his wife and uh, young daughter, or a young child, I, I believe it was his young daughter. And uh, coming out of the location from lunch, uh, somebody came up to the individual with a megaphone, started screaming, uh, really disparaging things to the officer in front of his family, uh, caused his spouse and his kid to cry. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are people who believe that the police should be defunded. There's people who will shout from the two rooftops that uh, men and women who wear uh, public safety uniform are heroes. Um, I am a, a believer in that. Uh, these men and women work their tails off for this community. And just like all of us that I call out, including myself, we're not perfect people and we're bound to get things wrong. But there is a line to cross. And as a father of three young kids myself, I can't imagine being in that place of uh, little people who are watching. And I think if there's any indication of the quality of men and women who represent this city in uniform, uh, as a whole, you know, there are bound to be people who, you know, need reminders about things or whatnot. But if you want a, a taste or a flavor of, of the people who, who wear that badge in our community, uh, the fact that uh, a person came up and did that in front of a person's family, 
and the fact that they still uh, responded with dignity and respect. And knowing uh, the people that I know who uh, responded a dime to any of these calls, I would reckon that even if that person who did that to their family was in distress or needed help, that the people would serve that individual just as well as they would serve any other person in this community. Uh, that's, the, that's the standard and the bar that we set here as a community and what we expect of our officers. And, uh, you know, irregardless of how you feel on, on the issue uh, or issues of the time, um, there's a line where uh, we just need to remember the humanity in each other uh, and uh, that that matters for something. Um, and uh, I just wanted to make sure to lift that up and just let, uh, you know, I don't know uh, the officer's name. Um, I don't know uh, the spouse or the child. But uh, I do really hope if, if uh, the spouse or the child is watching this, I uh, hope that you know that we are uh, extremely proud of your parent and the work that they do. And uh, you know we are gonna continue to improve and make ourselves better on all fronts, including public safety. Uh, but we're gonna do it with dignity and respect on all angles. Um, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Pradel. Are you ready, Commissioner Decker? You want to be last? What? You want to be last? Okay. Commissioner Hoffman? Thank you. Thank you. So it, it was a very long evening. I was hoping we would be out of here by 8.30, and then I had a lot to say, so I apologize. Um, uh, one thing, I wanted to just lift up Park Street Market. Uh, Kier came in to speak about the business district on the north side. That is a grocery store who cares deeply for our community. Uh, they donate, they give to our no local nonprofits, they give uh, to lo uh, local initiatives that are happening. And so I just wanted to give a shout out uh, to Park Street Market, their entire staff, and Kier and his family for being here on our, in our community um, and keep doing the good work. Um, and I also wanna speak about the homelessness that's happening within our community. Um, so what we're, what we're going through right now is not, is not just Kalamazoo. We have a regional homeless issue where people are coming to Kalamazoo from other uh, counties to get services. What we are being known as in the housing sector is homeless friendly, right? And so I just wanna lift that up. It's not just our residents, and I will always say residents because our undocumented uh, brothers and sisters within the county uh, are paying to be here. So I, I, when people talk about citizenship, I would prefer to change that where we talk about our residents. Uh, so I wanted to put that out there. Uh, we have a homeless issue within this region, within the region. And so when we see an influx of people coming in, keep that in mind. This is not something that is relegated and, and just right here in Kalamazoo. And we are continuously working uh, to improve our systems and our policies and to address the issues that we have. We all understand that we have to have a multifaceted housing strategy uh, to really, really put a foothold into this. I also want to lift up that Kalamazoo Gospel Ministries did a wonderful uh, renovation and, and in addition, so there are always beds available. They, there are nights where they have more than enough beds available for families, and I know people will say, well, they treated me like this, I don't feel comfortable there, yet there are beds available, there is safety there. Um, for the most part. And I do understand that some systems uh, and organizations that the head may have an idea of what's going on and have a vision, 
Um, but when you're on third shift, uh, working with a group of individuals that are in crisis and, and who have experienced trauma, uh, it gets difficult sometimes. So um, I just wanted to lift that up. We have an issue, but we also have shelter beds that are not being utilized within our county. Um, and then lastly, I just really, really wanted to uh, speak up for Gwendolyn Hooker and hope through navigation in that situation she came in and talked about, um, I am not one of those individuals who believe in de defunding the police. And I also understand that there are people out here who have ill will and who are on power trips. And so we need to address that. What happened to her and her staff person or family member is unacceptable. And we need to do something about that and not just hear what she had to say and there's no more discussion. So I hope that we can have some kind of communication on who that was and the fact that there's no police report, it was left with a warning, that's disturbing to me. That, that, that tells my, my heart that something sinister may have been going on. And so I just wanna say to Gwendolyn and her family member and team, like uh, we're going to continue to stay on top of this. That should not have happened. She's one of our, our staunchest leaders within this community and she fights hard for the people she serves. Um, sometimes, you know, we don't always agree and we know that her heart is in the right place and for the, this community. So um, thank you for that. And, I appreciate being up here with you too, uh, Commissioner Juarez, and all of you, so thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hoffman. Commissioner Hess. Indeed, oh my goodness. Uh, so tonight, it was a very complex agenda, a, a great meeting, and uh, appreciate the discussion, the education. This is an education community after all. Um, and gratitude to all the city staff who work on bringing us all of these issues, all of the information, um, and, and work on it on a daily basis for all the cities, for all the, the residents of Kalamazoo. So thank you. Um, and congratulations, Antonio, for your promotion. Um, I want to echo the mayor's comments at the beginning of the meeting for the victims in the shooting in Buffalo. Uh, this, it, it, it's our heavy hearts in there, but for the grace of God go we, you know? Um, we have to be diligent in creating a loving, caring um, community who takes care of one another um, and works on all of these issues. Uh, I wanted to say a few words about the farmer's market. Talked about it before doing the opening on May 7th at the last meeting. It is opened, it's been open for two Saturdays. And I gotta tell you, like, while you can drive by and watch the construction and go, this is gonna be a really cool place. What makes it cool is the people, is the people of the city coming here and from all, from the region, coming to Kalamazoo and, and the vendors, from, from the vendors to everyone here buying from, from the babies to the elders. And it's a wonderfully diverse population in this one place in Edison neighborhood for, in Kalamazoo and uh, I, I think it's just a wonderful, good energy place um, that, that we've invested in uh, through our Parks and Rec Department and, and through our budget. And hey, I've seen Factory Coffee there. I've seen Factory Coffee is there at the farmer's market, so they're getting out there too. Um, speaking of little people, I have a chance, I've, I've visited a fifth grade class at Woodward School um, several times pre-COVID and I've just gotten back there now. And you know, the teacher sits up in front with a big poster uh, note and says, I asked the 
the children, what do you think about Kalamazoo? Tell me what you think about Kalamazoo. In no particular order. Uh, it's okay. There's too much violence. There's bullying, homicides, kidnappings. These are all different children, by the way. Shootings, too much litter, car crashes, drugs, and racism. And when the teacher said, remember we talked about doing positives, <laughs> um, they all said, oh, the promise, we get the promise. Well, I, I want these children to get the promise and to receive the education that will help them mitigate all of the issues that they have come, brought forward to us. But these are small ears and they hear, and they, th why are they bringing these to us? In fifth grade, I didn't know what a homicide was. So like, it, these children are being affected by our actions. They hear our actions, and hopefully our actions and our discussion here this evening have elevated everyone to a higher place as a citizen, as a commissioner. So um, we have addressed so many of these things. We talked about traffic, we talked about traffic calming. Let's reduce the car crashes. You know, we talked about, uh, we've talked about drugs and violence here tonight. Uh, we're gonna be talking about sustainability. Um, pick up your litter. It's really, it's really kind of an easy thing, but um, let us all remember how much our behaviors affect not only the adults around us, but the little ones. Um, and let us continue to respect all of the humanity of this town. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Hess. Vice Mayor Cooney. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I just wanted to echo uh, the Mayor and Commissioner Hess's comments about Buffalo. And on Sunday, there was also a mass shooting in a uh, South Korean church in Los Angeles. And a short time ago, there was a mass shooting of Hispanics. And it makes me think about what Dr. King said one time that we must learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will perish together as fools. And we're going a long way toward perishing as fools. But if we really want to live as brothers and sisters, we got to care about each other. So we have to listen to the people that's, and I know people do up here. Uh, we have to really, I have to really take to heart what the people said at the beginning about what they're experiencing in their communities and in the hurt that they have. And if we're gonna be brothers and sisters, we really have to reach out to that. Thank you, Vice Mayor. I'm ready, Mayor. Thank All right. You. Um, <laughs> um, so I did wanna bring up something um, one thing is we, we heard from Ms. Tina McClinton. She is here consistently um, requesting assistance within the Southtown neighborhood. Um, I know that now, and hopefully Reynolds knows too, that we have a neighborhood activator, so I would love to get her in touch with Ms. McClinton and they can start to talk about things uh, regarding the Southtown neighborhood. Um, what I wanted to say regarding rentals is, I don't know if if individuals know or the community knows, but there is a housing inspection newsletter that comes out um, from the city. And I just kind of wanted to read a few things that they have here um, that some of the city residents may not know about. Um, so right now, um, if you're in need of free power washing, um, 
there are a limited amount of funds that you are able to apply for to get those things to get like mold mildew um, removed from your house um, it can be a vinyl siding brick stucco or the roof anywhere it may be um, so the city is offering the free power washing program um, also something else that I wanted to talk about regarding that I saw within the newsletter was um, it's called rentable and this is a new pilot program um, to help landlords and tenants within Kalamazoo County um, it's easy to sign up for um, basically it assists households obtain stable housing and provide additional protections um, to landlords and to their renting tenants um, protected by the Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo's expanded civil rights ordinance um, so I know you know I reviewed the or actually I watched the uh, civil rights meeting um, I believe it was the last week you guys had it last week very impactful very informational um, if you have time to to go back and just you know watch that one please do um, this program is going to cover security deposits for participants um, in the form of a security deposit replacement um, it gives full security deposit plus an additional thousand dollars of coverage um, I would definitely urge the community to go and take a look at this housing inspection newsletter um, it's issue number 32 spring 2022 I believe you can find that on the city's website um, and if you go down and I believe um, it's on their rental page I believe um, hopefully maybe I can talk to maybe we can get that out in the communication or something somewhere that's where it's easily accessible it did take me a minute to find it but I found it um, so um, they have some of the qualifications in here for a tenant to qualify for the rentable program um, they must reside or be seeking housing in the Kalamazoo County area they must be willing to open a banking account and must be 18 years of older the potential tenant must also show proof of income that is between 65% and 120% of the area median income. And finally, participants must have at least one of the following barriers to secure housing. Prior eviction or adverse action, previous incarceration or arrest record, victim of domestic violence, non-traditional source of income, governmental assistance or other, a poor credit history or prior bankruptcy. Um, I urge our residents to go take a look at this see if you're able to get some help um, contact name Pamela Dixon rentable program associate it also has her number on here and her email but I will not um, read that off um, just know that there is there's assistance out there I know we're lacking for housings but as Commissioner Hoffman says it's it's coming it's on the works hopefully we can get a maybe an update on the HR iPods at the next meeting and kind of see where those are are not the HRI pods but just the pods themselves um, HRI does also put out a community housing list every week um, this list rent this list shows everyone that has an open space it tells you what type of bedrooms they are if they accept pets what kind of rent what is included it gives you the phone number and email I suggested if you're looking for somewhere to stay also as Commissioner Hoffman stated we have the um, the mission that has many many beds that are open but we also have other resources here too again this is HRI 
and it is updated daily, I'm sorry, weekly on their website. Um, I just wanted to give a little bit of information regarding rentals um, for renters and landlords uh, just because I've, I've run into a lot of conversation. I've had a lot of individuals reaching out regarding some of the discrimination that they have been facing when it comes to getting a place to stay. Um, and it kind of goes back to what was talked about on the Civil Rights Board regarding uh, landlords not taking vouchers. Um, I even talked to a company today that talked about, you know, they do accept the vouchers and they do accept Section 8, but they say they're not going to wait for Section 8 to jump through the hoopla for someone to get an apartment. Um, I just feel that there's, there's, there's more things that we can be doing as a city to hold landlords accountable. Um, for some of the houses and some of the rentals that they own. Um, so I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and, and I feel like pretty soon um, there could be some changes coming up. I don't know what yet. Um, definitely gonna talk with my commissioners, with the city staff and see what we can do to really, you know, make sure some of this housing that is being purchased by individuals that A, do not live within, do not live within the state of Michigan and do not live within the city of Kalamazoo that are buying up rentals, renting them out, not taking care of them while our citizens are struggling. So thank you so much. You guys have a good night. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Appreciate everyone. I love you, Kalamazoo. We are adjourned. <laughs>